Welcome to Angry Americans. Welcome to episode 47. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. And if you're not angry, you are not paying attention. The Attorney General is a man with incredible integrity. Now, just so you understand, I chose not to be involved. I'm allowed to be totally involved. I'm actually, I guess, the chief law enforcement officer of the country. But I've chosen not to be involved. Actually, he's not the chief law enforcement officer. That's supposed to be the attorney general. And despite what he says, he's involved. He's very involved. He's involved in everything. And he's messing up everything in the Department of Justice, just like he did at the FBI, and just like he did at the Department of Defense, and just like he's doing everywhere else. Our president is shameful. Our president is a liar. Our president is a racist. Our president is a bad person. Our president is a punk. And in all the worst ways, Robert De Niro was right. I mean, he's so blatantly stupid. He's a punk. He's a dog. He's a pig. He's a con, a bullshit artist, a mutt who doesn't know what he's talking about, doesn't do his homework, doesn't care, thinks he's gaming society, doesn't pay his taxes. He's an idiot. Colin Powell said it best. He's a national disaster. He's an embarrassment to this country. It makes me so angry that this country has gotten to this point, that this fool, this bozo, has wound up where he has. He is a punk, but he's also the man, the worst kind of man. He's the worst kind of authority figure. He's oppressive, selfish, authoritarian, mean. Trump is all the things that punk music stands against. And if there were ever a time that America needed to channel the spirit of punk music, it's now. Because this is our war. The war for the future of our country. It's your war. It's our war. It's my war. This is our war, and we're deep in it. The year 2020 is the time to pull out all our origin stories and to call on all our legends, all our elders, all our teachers, all our heroes. And Henry Rollins is one of those heroes. With America disrupted and divided like never before in our lifetime, what better time to sit down with the American icon a punk rock legend, a thought leader, an author, a political activist, and a spoken word master. Henry Rollins is one of the most interesting, most experienced, most entertaining, and most thought-provoking activists in the world. Henry Rollins is a conscience for America. And we're going to talk to him later in this episode. But first, just like every week, Trump is giving us new reason to be angry. And there's lots to get into. And I've got an urgent action segment that'll inspire you to turn your anger into positive impact, just like punk rock, just like Henry Rollins. And we've got some news about upcoming shows, events, and some breaking news about peeps. But first, with the primary season in full bloom and Tyson versus Wilder 2 set for this weekend, there are some important issues in the news we need to break down. Issues that have me angry, have others angry, and should have everyone angry. And of course, that starts with Trump. Every week, he finds new ways to attack our Constitution, divide our people, and abuse his power. And it's easy to feel like you need to be sedated. So when I'm trying to, trying to out the I won't be sedated. 
because now Trump has granted clemency to 11 people who serve prison sentences for crimes in high-profile cases, ranging from gambling fraud to tax evasion to drug-related charges. Awesome. But after pardoning war criminals, these must be easy for President Mayhem, right? You do remember President Mayhem, right? I'm your cat. And ever since you brought me home that day, well, I've been plotting to destroy you, sizing you up, calculating your every move. You think this is love? This is a billion years of tiger DNA just ready to pounce. Now, he has broad clemency powers granted by the Constitution, and he gave out full pardons, full legal forgiveness for a crime to seven people and shortened or commuted the sentences of four others. He was giving out pardons like a partisan political Easter bunny, hopping around the different prisons and jails all across America. Now, some involve some very high-profile figures, like former Illinois Governor Rod Blagojevich and former New York City Police Commissioner Bernie Kerrig. Others, while not generating as many headlines, turned into cause celebs for activists on Fox News who considered the sentences unduly harsh. Now, this clemency blitz means that he's now granted 25 pardons and issued 10 commutations during his presidency, which is not that unusual. Let's talk about who he pardoned. Bernie Kerrig was one of them. He was the former New York City Police Department commissioner who was hailed alongside then-Mayor Rudy Giuliani for their response to the 9-11 attacks. He pled guilty to felony tax fraud charges and for lying to White House officials when they were interviewing him to be the head of the Department of Homeland Security. He did three years in a federal prison before him being released in 2013. He was pardoned. And then Eddie DeBartolo Jr., you may know him as the former owner of the San Francisco 49ers. He got fined $1 million as a part of a gambling fraud case back in the 1990s in Louisiana. DeBartolo testified that he paid the governor of Louisiana back then, Edwin Edwards, $400,000 in exchange for his help to secure a riverboat casino license. He pled guilty to a charge of failing to report a felony. Now, DeBartolo, like many of the people on this list, is a Trump supporter. Back in January 2017, the former owner and his wife co-hosted a pre-inauguration day party for Trump. He also pardoned Michael Milken, a rogue financier that everybody knew as the junk bond king. Well, he pled guilty back in 1990 to several counts of security and tax violations. Now, in announcement of this pardon, the White House described Milken as one of America's greatest financiers and credited his work with fighting prostate cancer. Some of these folks were on Fox News. Others just used cash. Paul Pogue is an example. This guy owned a construction company and pled guilty to underpaying taxes by almost $500,000, and he got three years probation. He got a full pardon and clemency by Trump. But according to FEC filings, Pogue's family has also donated hundreds of thousands of dollars in direct contributions and in-kind air travel to the Trump victory campaign. The Daily Beast and others had some reporting on this, but in August alone, Ben Pogue donated $85,000 to Trump victory, while Ashley Pogue contributed $50,000 in the same month. The following month, Ben Pogue made a travel contribution in kind of $75,000. They also made several large donations to the Republican National Committee and each donated $5,600 to Trump for President Incorporated. He also commuted a number of sentences, most notably Rod Blagojevich. The former Illinois governor, remember him? He was doing a 14-year prison sentence on federal charges that he abused his power to extract campaign money and other favors from contenders in the Illinois state Senate seat when Barack Obama became president. You may also remember that Bogoyevich, a Democrat, appeared as a guest on Trump's television program, Celebrity Apprentice. Remember this guy? I want to express my most profound and everlasting gratitude to President Trump. He didn't have to do this. 
He's a Republican president. I was a Democratic governor. My fellow Democrats have not been very kind to him. They've been, in fact, they've been very unkind to him. And what he did was, I think, uh, something that deserves a great amount of appreciation on my part personally. And he has, from me, my deepest, most profound, and everlasting gratitude. And I can't wait to get home. I miss my daughters. I miss my wife. I miss home. He's got a, obviously a big fan in me. And if you're asking me what my party affiliation is, I'm a Trumpocrat. No, dude, you're a jackassocrat or a criminalocrat. But Trump went on a pardon spree that's enough reason to make everybody angry, no matter what your political background. Speaking of angry, I told you last episode that I was in Los Angeles recording an interview. I also went down to San Diego for a day and spent some time on the USS Midway, the historic aircraft carrier that I recommend everybody check out, which is reason to be happy, reason to be inspired. But just like in L.A., in San Diego, there is reason to be angry. Scooters. We've talked about it before, but the electric scooters are littered throughout San Diego, just like they are throughout Los Angeles and throughout cities all across the country. They are the gremlins of public transportation. They have spread all across the West Coast, all across America, and all across the world. They spread faster than the coronavirus. If you don't understand the full scope and damage of this infestation, go back and listen to episode five. It's the one with Sarah Jessica Parker. And if you've got a scooter story to tell, use the hashtag ScootersSuck and let me know. I want to hear about it. And there's another reason to be angry, which is also now sweeping the entire country. It spanned beyond a few cities and a few states and is now almost nationwide. I'm talking about, of course, the 2020 election. And the biggest story within the election is that Bloomberg has arrived. Bloomberg is surging, and in my opinion, that's the biggest story. He's got money to spend, a strategy to execute, and an opportunity at this moment in time. There's a new poll out of ABC News and the Washington Post that ranks the candidates nationally. Now, Sanders is at the top with 32%, followed by Biden, who's down to 17%, but Bloomberg's coming in at 14%. Sanders is coming off a big win in the New Hampshire primary and at least a top two finish in the still yet to be called Iowa caucus. Now, Biden's counting on South Carolina to be his firewall after finishing disappointingly in both those states. Now, all these guys are trailed by Massachusetts Senator Elizabeth Warren at 11 percent, the only other candidate reaching the double digits polls. Now, Sanders at 32 percent is up eight percentage points from last January and coming on strong. Bloomberg at 14% is up six points. Biden, this is the other story, fell down to 17%, which is 11 points to his lowest of the campaign so far. There's been very little, if any, movement from South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who finished strong in both early contests in New Hampshire and Iowa. Also not moving that much is Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar, who was third in New Hampshire. Elizabeth Warren also fell short in both. Warren has 11% support nationally, basically unchanged. Buttigieg at 7% and Klobuchar at 6%. Now, interestingly, Trump's approval rating stands at 43%, with 53% disapproving, but showing no real change in the past month either. And his approval on handling the economy remains net positive. 52% of people polled say they approve of the job he's doing and 40% disapproving. Last month, 56% gave him a positive rating. So his numbers are holding. This ABC Washington Post poll was conducted by telephone from February 14th to February 17th among a random national sample of 1,066 adults. 
Now, I share this with you in part because this is interesting. 65% were reached on cell phones and 35% were reached on landlines. I don't know how many people still have landlines, but 35% of the people in this national poll were on landlines. So that's important to think about when you're thinking about who these polls are actually made up by. But Bloomberg continues to surge, and in part because he's flooding the zone with extremely effective ads, and lots of them, like this one. Ask not what your country can do for you. It was all... Ask what you can do for your country. Knock the crap out of them, would you? Their cause must be our cause, too. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters. And we shall overcome. As soon as we left, they knocked the shit out of everybody. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Build that wall. Build that wall. Americans are generous and strong and decent, not because we believe in ourselves. I like to punch him in the face. But because we hold beliefs beyond ourselves. Grab him by the the future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. This is the crap we have to put up with? It belongs to the brave. I never want to be called to lose. I'm asking you to believe, not in my ability to bring about change, but in yours. How about if I take his money, but in the end I screw him and don't do anything for him? That ad, in my view, is excellent and effective. And it's why Mike Bloomberg is a powerful addition to the campaign mix. These are the best ads money can buy. Like this one, hitting Trump on his reaction to the coronavirus spreading worldwide. Now, the virus that we're talking about having to do, you know, a lot of people think that goes away in April with the heat, as the heat comes in. Uh, typically, that will go away in April. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. We're in great shape, though. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. We're, we have 12 cases, 11 cases, and uh, many of them are in good shape now. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. So that's what Mike Bloomberg and his money can do. Little body shots on Trump over and over again. He just keeps them coming over and over again. Little body shots, little body shots. Like we might see this weekend from Tyson Fury, or we might see a knockout. So Donald Trump is trying to be like Deontay Wilder and score the big knockout. Tyson Fury, body blow, body blow, body blow. And we'll see what happens in the end. But Bloomberg's got the best TV ads money can buy. He's also got the best TV placement money can buy. And I think the Democrats would be smart to stop shitting on him. I think he's the X factor and we need all his resources in this battle for the White House. And he's also killing it on social media. Now, I thought maybe Bloomberg bought up Andrew Yang's social media team. There's been definitely a dramatic improvement in his Twitter game. Turns out it's not the Yang gang, but it's a team with an even more memorable name. Fuck Jerry. Yes, that's what they're called. The Bloomberg campaign is working with a new company that's now called Meme 2020, which is headed by Jerry Media, which is Fuck Jerry's parent company and chief executive Mick Perzicki. 
The New York Times had a pretty big and interesting piece on it. But taken all together, Meme 2020 is working with roughly 20 accounts and a combined 60 million plus followers that include accounts like the Grape Juice Boys that have 2.7 million followers and Tank Sinatra that has 2.3 million followers. So this month, you may not have seen it, some of the largest meme accounts on the social media site began posting Bloomberg content, poking fun at what an out-of-touch politician might look like, requesting their help with memes via DM and willing to pay huge amounts of money for it. They wrote, hello, Jerry, my granddaughter showed me this account. Your memes are very humorous. Bloomberg says in one post by the account Fuck Jerry, which has nearly 15 million followers, can you post a meme that lets everyone know I'm the cool candidate? And at the bottom of this post, the account discloses, yes, this is really sponsored by Mike Bloomberg. And as of last week, the post had been liked over 360,000 times. Now, this is significant. So since just entering the race last November, only three months ago, Bloomberg has pumped over $344 million into advertising, including $282 million on television and $57 million on Facebook and Google. In one week alone, Bloomberg spent nearly $13 million on Facebook ads. That's five times more than Trump and 13 times more than the Democratic frontrunner, Bernie Sanders. And it worked because he made the stage. A late entry into the race, the 78-year-old Bloomberg has risen high enough in public opinion polls to make the stage for the Nevada debate. The ninth debate happening this week has Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Amy Klobuchar, and Mike Bloomberg. Now, with Andrew Yang gone, the Democrats are back to a 100% white debate. But no Andrew Yang, who, after dropping out of the race, garnered wide speculation about what he'll do next. Well... Now, at least we have part of the answer. This is CNN Breaking News. No, he's not running for mayor of New York City. No, he's not endorsing another candidate. No, he's not running as a third party candidate. No, he's going to CNN. Yep. He said he's excited to join CNN and shed light on the election and the candidate's experience. He said he's learned a lot in these past months and he's glad to contribute to the public discussion. Well, I'm on CNN from time to time, and if I see him backstage when I'm there for New Day or Cuomo, I'm still going to encourage him to run for mayor and to come on this show. So he'll be on CNN, but he won't be on the debate stage, and Bloomberg will be. And no matter how he does, his ads will just keep coming, and so will the interesting and uniquely effective surrogates. I've talked in past episodes about how surrogates can move the needle, and a few weeks ago, Bloomberg rolled out a good one in Judge Judy. Well, he rolled out another surprise one just this week. Uh, your career obviously speaks for yourself. You've held candidates, uh, presidents on both both parties. Hold their, you've held their feet to the fire. Why endorse Bloomberg and why now? Well, because I think Mike Bloomberg is best suited to take on Donald J. Trump this November and beat him. And that's something I think is very important for the country. You're right. When I was a working reporter in Washington for 52 years, I never did anything like this. I never gave any money to candidates. I didn't even register for a political party. But when they threw me out at age 80 six years ago, I was free to do this. And I think it's very important now. We are in the grip, Anderson, of a sick, ignorant man. He's mean. He's corrupt. And if we don't get this right, we may lose the things that have made this country the best place to live in the world. And that shining city on the hill that Ronald Reagan used to talk about, which was the envy of the world. So I'm in it. 
That's former ABC newsman Sam Donaldson with Anderson Cooper on CNN. After 52 years as a reporter, he was an independent. Now, for the first time, he's endorsing a candidate, and it's Mike Bloomberg. And in this race, every vote is going to count. Every weapon in the fight is needed. So Sam Donaldson won't win a state for Bloomberg. But someone like Donaldson, like Judge Judy, they can chip away more and more folks from Trump in places like Ohio and Florida and Virginia. But he's not just surging nationally. He's also surging in key states. A new Monmouth poll of Virginia, one of the first states to vote in Super Tuesday on March 3rd, shows that Michael Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders are in a dead heat for the lead, with Joe Biden four points back. So in Virginia, Bloomberg and Sanders are tied with 22 percent. Biden coming in third with 18 percent, Buttigieg with 11 percent, Klobuchar at nine and Warren at five. And that's the other part of this story. Warren is slumping fast. She could be the next Kamala Harris. The reality is that there's just not enough gas to support multiple machines for each political category. Liberals are going to have to pick one candidate, and it's looking more and more like Sanders, which hurts Warren. And moderates are rallying more and more of their money and time around Buttigieg, and Biden's the one paying for it. But Bloomberg doesn't need donors. He doesn't need volunteers. He doesn't need earned media to fuel his machine. He can fuel it himself. That's why it's looking more and more like it'll be Bloomberg, Buttigieg, and Sanders at the end, unless Biden really goes on a run. And I just don't see the Klobuchar momentum as something that's sustainable. She's playing and maybe hoping for a VP slot right now or a good cabinet position. But Sanders is out in front. Now, if you've heard this show before, you know I'm no big fan of Sanders. But sometimes he does make a lot of sense on issues like climate change. Maybe I'm dreaming here a little bit and asking, you know, a little too much. But as president, this is my message to the world. That instead of spending $1.8 trillion a year on weapons of destruction designed to kill each other, let's pool our resources and fight our common enemy, which is climate change. That's my message. Matt Sanders from a CNN town hall. He also made news in saying he would support Bloomberg if he was the nominee. He wouldn't say if he'd accept Bloomberg's money. He also called Bloomberg's strategy of skipping the first four states obscene. I'm not quite sure that it's obscene. He may not like it, but it's far from obscene. What is obscene is that he still won't release his medical records. In the same town hall this week, Sanders said he will not release more medical records, even though he promised he would after a recent heart attack. Also becoming a bit obscene, too many damn town halls. CNN, everyone else, for the sake of the country. I'd rather have the candidates spend another night reading or maybe getting their health checked rather than having them do this dance over and over and over again. But Sanders' health is a real issue. And despite their good poll numbers, his team is scrambling, and I think struggling. And the Dems, of course, always eat their own. And now that he's in the lead, they're all coming after Sanders, and he's coming after all of them, and especially after Bloomberg. And it's getting particularly nasty from the Sanders camp. A guy named David Cleon, who is a news editor at the Jewish Current and writes for The Nation and New Republic, tweeted something that really caught my attention and a lot of other people's. He said, Libs who are flirting with Bloomberg now should be aware that they are going on lists. Next time they pretend to care about racism or sexual harassment or really anything other than money and power, we will remember what they were doing right now and we will remind everyone. Look, Democrats continue to eat their own, especially on the left. 
Latest example, this guy who says that people he disagrees with are, quote, going on lists. He says they're going on lists. Well, I hear the NSA is hiring, and so is the FSK. Maybe he can go work there. There are a couple of these guys on the left who say they want to make lists. They want to make a blacklist of people who used to work for Bloomberg and make sure they never work again. By the way, if you make a blacklist of every operative who works for Bloomberg this year, the only thing you'll do is ensure that you never have some of the best talent there is. Great strategy, guys. Donald Trump thanks you. But the Sanders folks are particularly nasty. And Megan McCain and I talked about it in depth a few episodes ago on this pod. And I've highlighted it before. And I've felt that heat. It's not all of them, but it's real. But the Sanders folks, like most Dems right now, continue to want to focus their fire not on Trump, but by sending more friendly fire at Bloomberg. Here's another example. Well, he had a heart attack in the fall. Do you think the American people deserve to know more about his health going forward? I think that the American people deserve to know exactly as much as every other candidate has released in this race currently and historically. And what you're seeing right now is really reminiscent of some of the kind of smear, kind of a skepticism campaigns that have been run against a lot of different candidates in the past, um, questioning where they're from, um, aspects of their, uh, um, their, their lineage, et cetera, et cetera. And it's really telling, given that none of the same concern is being demonstrated for Michael Bloomberg, who's the same age as Bernie Sanders, who has suffered heart attacks in the past. That's the press secretary for Bernie Sanders, Brianna Joy Gray, who equates the questions on his medical records to smear campaigns and said that Mike Bloomberg has, quote, suffered heart attacks. Well, turns out that he's had an irregular heartbeat and stents, but no records of any heart attacks. And it's definitely not a smear. Asking a guy to fulfill his promise is definitely not a smear. Bloomberg spokesperson Kevin Sheakey told CNN it's a lie and called Bernie Sanders the Trump of the left. He said, I honestly can't tell the difference in their campaigns. Well, I can tell the difference in their campaigns, but there's definitely a nastiness permeating both camps. And someone named Lisa Marshall tweeted at me, Bloomberg's not our own. We definitely should eat him. Never Bloomberg. Well, listen, Lisa, there's an old saying, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You and so many others should think a bit more about that as you focus so intensely on canceling someone who can help achieve the goal that many of us share, beating Trump. Redesign your dysfunctional political party later, and let's focus on the big goal. And a couple of our recent guests chimed in on the Bernie Sanders health record issue, too. Soledad O'Brien had this to say. Lady, he said he'd release his records, then he said he wouldn't. So, lying. Not birtherism, not a smear. A solid question from Berman, and a lame tap dance from you. Very Trump-like, though. And Soledad never holds back. So go back and listen to episode 16, where we talk about Trump the racist, Senator Rand Paul sucking, fireball whiskey and riding horses, and the inspiration of heroes named Lewis. Soledad O'Brien never holds back, and you definitely want to check out that episode. Another Angry Americans guest, Bradley Whitford, also had something to say. He tweeted, I can't get hired to do a stupid fucking movie without a medical exam and a full disclosure to my potential employee. He said, if I was 78 years old and I had just had a heart attack, it would be an issue. The American people deserve the same respect as the makers of Billy Madison. That's Bradley Whitford, folks. If you want more of him, go back and check out episode 27. We talk about impeachment. We talk about the West Wing versus The Handmaid's Tale, Commander Lawrence and Robert McNamara, the death penalty in politics, go backstage with Henry Kissinger and James Franco, and we have the Adventures in Babysitting License Plate Contest. So go back and check that out. Bradley drops gem after gem. Speaking of past guests on this show dropping gems... 
Mayor Pete Buttigieg is still near the top of many polls. And in a CNN town hall, when asked about whether his marriage as a gay man would be a vulnerability in a matchup versus Trump, he responded with this gem. One thing about my marriage is it's never involved me having to send hush money to a porn star after cheating on my spouse with him or her. So they want to debate family values. Let's debate family values. I'm ready. Buttigieg is hanging around and he just keeps getting better. He's a quick learner and continuing to do well in the modern media environment. It's one area where his youth will be an asset for sure. But Buttigieg is still creating controversy. But now, for a new reason. Now you got to understand where I come from. We're, we're not purists about these things. Obviously, salsa is salsa and ranch is ranch. But if somebody's going to mix them up, uh, I'm not above dipping a tortilla chip in that and enjoying the, the mix of flavors. And I don't think anybody should be doctrinaire about that uh, unless they've actually experienced it. I'm not saying it should replace the traditional uses of both ranch and salsa. Uh, I'm just saying that we, we can expand our horizons a little bit and you'd, you'd, you'd be surprised. So he's okay with mixing salsa and ranch dressing and has a very Mayor Pete-like answer. Very analytical, even about his condiments. And you can hear him not talk about condiments, but about whiskey and about peeps and about his first car back in episode 37. We also talk about the Afghanistan papers, his favorite drink, his unexpected Navy recruiter story, and what it would be like to have a president who's not a parent, and what to do when your dog eats chocolate, and Army versus Navy. Army versus Navy was the clash that Mayor Pete and I dug into. He's Navy, I'm Army. And those two will clash again this winter in basketball and in hockey. And speaking of clashes, up next for the Democrats, the Democratic National Committee has announced that the 11th Democratic debate will be held on March 15th in Phoenix, Arizona. Look upon Caesar. What says that to me now? Speak once again. Beware the Ides of Mars. Indeed, all the Democrats should beware the Ides of March and beware Arizona. The population of metropolitan Phoenix increased by 45 percent from 1990 to 2000 helping make Arizona the second fastest growing state in the U.S. in the 90s. The fastest was Nevada. The population in Arizona is now over 7 million people, and it's estimated to be 30% Hispanic. So Arizona is a little more than a decade away from becoming a majority-minority state. And the shift will happen about 15 years before the country's demographics are expected to shift. So Arizona could be a model for how the U.S. responds to the changing demographics of America. Hispanics make up about 17 percent of the U.S. population right now. So Democrats think Arizona is a battleground state. And our guest two episodes ago, Megan McCain, saw it the same way. Go back and check out that episode for more on how Arizona is changing and the battle for her father's Senate seat between Republican Martha McSally, an Air Force pilot who calls liberal reporters hacks and failed to say Senator McCain's in a bill signing named after him, and Democrat and former astronaut and husband of Gabby Giffords, Mark Kelly. That's the matchup out there in Arizona. But as they hit Arizona, no doubt the Democrats will continue to eat their own. They did it in Iowa. They did it in New Hampshire. They're doing it in ads. They're doing it in Nevada. And they won't stop. They can't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. I thought I told you that we won't stop. Uh-uh, uh-uh. I 
But No Canada has stopped recently, so there's no reason to turn on the spotlight and play the Hunger Games music this episode. But stay tuned, because more are definitely going to drop out. And then we've got the 10th debate on February 25th in South Carolina and roll into Super Tuesday on March 6th. It's on, people, and it's going to continue to get more and more intense. But the race is on. And so was the NBA All-Star Game this weekend. It was a good one. A really good one. And one that made a difference and went down to the wire. There's the pass to Davis. And we got a whistle. A foul is called. So Davis to the line. He can win it. Oh! oh wait a minute. First. Wait a minute. Oh, King LeBron has won it. The way to make it interesting there, Anthony Davis. <laughs> An all-star game that has to be considered very successful because of what took place in the fourth quarter. Anthony Davis hit a final free throw, and Team LeBron won over Team Giannis, 157 to 155. And local charities got $500,000. And the game happened in Chicago. So the hero was Chicago native Anthony Davis, who made the winning free throw. But the real victor was a competitive spirit embodied by Kobe Bryant and the charities that got the money. Despite all the difficulties of this NBA season, this game was a reminder of the greatness of NBA basketball and the impact that it can make. They changed the format, and there was a massive focus on Kobe Bryant that combined to create a game at the United Center that would have made Kobe Bryant proud and definitely inspired the country. The NBA All-Star Game has been called the greatest pickup game in the world. And this year, it was. And athletes often get a bad rap. But this weekend, they were the helpers. And they raised a ton of money for charity. And the folks working in those charities, they're the real heroes. I've told you to look for the helpers. And I've got an exciting update for you regarding one of our guests, J.T. Lewis. J.T. Lewis joined us and told you about his brother, Jesse Lewis. Well, recently, J.T. Lewis tweeted that his heroic brother is now on the short list to get the Presidential Medal of Freedom. If you don't know the story, Jesse saved nine of his classmates during the Sandy Hook shooting, and President Trump was briefed about Jesse's story. You want to help out, use the hashtag HonorJesse to show Trump and everyone else the tremendous support that Jesse has nationwide. This is a good reason to raise some hell to get Donald Trump's attention. Jesse Lewis is a hero who deserves it. And JT Lewis bravely shared Jesse's story with me on Angry Americans back in episode 19. It's one of our most moving and most impactful, and you should definitely check it out. JT Lewis is a hero. He's an inspiration. He's a teacher. And he's a fighter. Just like our guest in this episode. Henry Rollins was the front man for the legendary punk rock band Black Flag. And on their classic album Damage, this track, Rise Above, stood out. It was an anthem for the times, and it's become an anthem for all times. Henry Rollins has been a music and cultural innovator for three decades. From those early days as a front man for Black Flag and later for his own Rollins band, to films, to TV, to books, to hosting his own radio and TV shows. Henry is a voice of power, insight, and clarity. He's journeyed around the world as a curious traveler, 
a musician, and touring for his music and spoken word shows. He's seen over 100 countries. He's been to war zones. He's won a Grammy. And he's acted alongside Al Pacino. He's an activist for many important causes. He's focused on gay rights, freeing of the West Memphis Three, the legalization of cannabis, and he's performed for U.S. troops and U.S. tours in Djibouti, Kuwait, Iraq, Kyrgyzstan, twice in Afghanistan, Egypt, Turkey, Qatar, Honduras, Japan, Korea, and the United Arab Emirates. Henry's been there and done that. He's been all over this globe and all over this country, and few people know it with the intimacy, the empathy, and the connection that Henry Rollins does. If you love Henry Rollins, this will give you a fix like you've never had before. If you don't know Henry Rollins, welcome to a ride you won't forget. He's a true American success story, and I've had the honor of knowing him for almost two decades. He's always been ahead of the country because he understands the country in a very deep and meaningful way. He's always been a student and a teacher, and his voice has been a soundtrack for our culture, for political action, and of course, for punk music. But at his core, he's a tremendous, curious, passionate student and an incredibly articulate and powerful teacher. And class with Professor Rollins is about to be in session. And we're bringing you a steady dose of the four eyes. It's a black t-shirt of integrity. It's a machine gun drumbeat of information. It's a pounding fist of impact and a snarling vocal scream of inspiration. From the Ramones, to the Stooges, to Minor Threat, to Black Flag. And from the dirty floors of small, dangerous clubs, to earbuds decades later around the globe. Punk music is a soundtrack of America. It's a pounding fist, a screaming conscience, and stinging ears of truth, raw emotion, and purity. Punk rock is the spirit of America. And it's never been needed more than right now. Welcome to a very special episode with the great Henry Rollins. We recorded it on Valentine's Day before an amazing live audience in Hollywood, just blocks away from where Henry and Black Flag recorded their iconic album Damage in 1981. We recorded it in a small, dark, and cool music venue that used to be a jail. And right now, that feels appropriate because we're all feeling a bit in prison right now. But Professor Rollins is about to set your mind free. Strap in, sharpen your pencils, and be prepared to take some notes. Professor Henry Rollins is about to take us on a wild, fascinating, and exhilarating journey. The lyrics of the song go like this. We're tired of your abuse. Try to stop us. It's no use. We're born with a chance. Rise above. We're going to rise above. We are going to rise above. And this is the time. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 47. Ladies and gentlemen, angry Americans around the country and around the world, 
to our live audience here in Hollywood at the Hotel Cafe. Welcome to Angry Americans, episode 47, with our very special guest, Henry Rollins. <laughs> the great and powerful Henry Rollins. Thank you, my friend, for doing this, for being here, for who you are. This is a tremendous honor and a pleasure and an inspiration. Oh, thank you, sir. And thanks for the invite. And thanks. Uh, I know everyone in this city, everyone in this room, we all work for a living. And uh, Friday during the day, you're probably supposed to be somewhere else. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's the real world. So thank you for fight carving out the time. I'm sure it wasn't easy to get out of what you usually do. So thanks for making the time to do this. And um, I've been a fan of Paul's for many, many years. And so when he asked me to do this, I, I don't think I've ever said no to you. Except one time I wanted to sleep in New York. He wanted me to come down to something you guys were doing as far as some big event, some parade. And he said, get your face in the place. I said, it's my first day off in like 100 years. I'm sleeping in. And you said, screw sleep. I'm like, no, I'm really <laughs> sleeping in. That's the only time I've ever said no to Paul. So, so thanks for making it, basically. And thank you. And, and happy Valentine's Day. Thanks. Henry Rollins on Valentine's Day. What do you think about Valentine's Day, man? Well, if you got someone you're devoted to, it's a nice opportunity to show them that you care. What that's like, I have no idea. <laughs> but um, it's probably really good. Yeah, I'll try it one day. Yeah. Um, I, I want to tell people what happened backstage before we came out here. We did a mic check. You are so accomplished and I want to talk about the way you hold the mic because sure. I, I learn from you every single time but you did something I've never seen before can you tell people how you checked your mic and what you were doing backstage oh it's a thing I often do because I you know I talk for a living on tour for 20 months at a time and so to get focused to get everything from the day out of the way because I gotta be on point with no script for two hours a night I uh, I run speeches of Lincoln well, I quote Lincoln and amendments of the Constitution that I like. And so for Mike Check today, I did some ruined version of the Fourth Amendment, which is your, your right to privacy. And uh, the Fourth and the Fourteenth are two of my favorites. And in Obergefell v. Hodges, marriage equality, the fact that marriage equality had to go to the Supreme Court is just ridiculous to me in the, quote, freest country in the world, where uh, I would have just said, first, fourth, and 14th Amendments, we're done. Let Bill marry Tom. We got, we, we're, we're busy. Let's go. Right. And the fact that, you know, there's, there's it's, I'm a high school graduate. The fact that there's Harvard grads in the Supreme Court dissenting. Like, really? You got to, they're, wow. And crazy. And so um, I love, I love the Constitution, what, however I understand it. And so I use the co constitutional amendments and Lincoln, and I just quote it as I pace nervously back and forth before I get chucked onto a stage wherever I am. And that's how I mic check today. And I, I am a student of, of people I admire and the way they carry themselves. And you come here wearing combat boots. Yeah. And like legit desert combat boots look like army issue combat boots. But also the way you're holding the mic okay. is thoughtful. That's yeah. not accidental. And a bit intimidating. Well, but tell me, tell me, tell me why, how you, you you've got it in your hand, and you want to describe it or explain why you hold the mic that way. One of the finest instruments known to humankind is the Sure 58. On his 50th anniversary, I was the keynote speaker at the at NAM when they talked about the 58. They said, Henry, sure it did. You have to be the one who talks about the 58. I said, How many hours do I get to have? And can I use a 58? Anyway, 
um, many years ago when I was playing places about this size. There's no barricade and there's people up front. They paid $4 to come in and abuse the band. And if they didn't like the new song the guitar player wrote, they would take it out on the cute one in the band, the singer. And they would often grab the mic cord and like, let's see how he sings six pack if I pull it. And you're like, well, there goes the, I need a mic. And so I just started, just, now try it. And, to, and, and, and you, now, for folks who are listening, you've, you got I in your left hand. I have my core several times around my fingers. And so uh, even at a podcast in a, in a, with a friendly audience, you're not getting the mic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and when I'm on tour and I'm really on my game, I have a mic in my hand so much I get a callus on the crux of my thumb and right there when those calluses go away when i get off the road i feel like a lightweight but uh, about about 35 shows in you'll get calluses and that's when you know you're on tour jack wow yeah the, yeah it's like the brass knuckleification of a microphone well in a it very just keeps powerful you, you know, way but you yield it and like a, like a sword um and and everything that you bring brings an energy and a positivity and a thoughtfulness that I have always admired and been inspired by. But we were talking before we came out. You and I have known each other I'm almost two decades now. Um, and I was trying to figure out when we first hooked up. You know, you've been a tenacious advocate for many of the causes you care about. But we were connected in part because you were dedicated to veterans. Yeah. And long before veterans were a thing, long before veterans were cool, many people in this town in Hollywood were not quite so sure about whether veterans were going to be okay for their business or if it was too risky to do a film. Henry Rollins was meeting with wounded veterans, was connecting with veterans, was understanding and listening to veterans. We did a public service announcement campaign back, I think, in 2008 for military families. We did a press conference. You did a voiceover. Um, but I think that's how we met. Yeah, I would, so. I'm, a, you know, I'm a fan of yours. And I would see you with Rachel Maddow, who I think is great. And I'm like, wow, that guy's together. And what he's doing, you, know, you, pu you help push through the new GI Bill. And like what you're doing for veterans, because at the same time, and you, hopefully you understand that I had nothing but opposition to the invasion and occupation of Iraq. I got no, no beefs with infantry. My argument is way up the food chain. So when the USO called me in 2003, November-ish, they said, uh, hey, Henry, we don't know who you are. Nice to meet you, too. Um, but we have sign-up sheets at bases all over the world. Like, who would you like to have magically appear next Tuesday? And your name keeps popping up. Soldiers like you. So we'd like to talk to you about appearing on behalf of the USO. I said, well, how about this? I'm ready to leave tomorrow. But you might want to go on the Internet and check out the 30,000 free hours of me flexing the First Amendment and my opinion on this whole damn thing before you send me into uh, Dick Cheney's corporate funland. And they went, wow, that was loaded. I said, I, I'm only warming up. It's, it's 8.30. I'm still waking up. And so I figured I'm never going to hear from them again. And so a few days later, they, they wrote back like, wow, you have a big mouth. Wow. <laughs> they said, but are you in? I went, yeah. And... Somewhere in early December, I'm in Kyrgyzstan at Gansi, which is gone now, and then right to Bagram in Afghanistan. And I did my first USO thing, and then lit, which led to another and another and another and another. First ever USO performer in Egypt, that was me. And uh, so many visits to Walter Reed and Bethesda Naval Hospital, I lost count. Because I, I, I visit D.C., it's where I'm from, and I would say, hey, I'm, th I'm there Thursday, Friday to Monday. I can give you a top half of Friday, all of Saturday. And like, okay, and I, you go in and you meet wounded men. I never met women, just wounded men. 
And it got to the point where you're saying things like where the guy has only lost his leg below the knee. Like, you're lucky because you'll be able to ski again because it's better than the guy with no jaw, no eye, and an implant in his head because part of the front of his brain is gone in the TBI ward. And so I became very aware of you and what you were doing with veterans. And I had the TV show on Independent Film Channel, and we have producers, they, they wrangle talent. I said, we should try and find this Paul Rykoff guy because he's, he's doing the right thing. And if Rachel likes him, I like him. Because she's, she's, you know, she, she doesn't make any missteps. She's really sharp. Yeah. Anyway, I actually made her laugh once. That was cool. I, I got a laugh out of her, which is... How did you make her laugh? And she um, was a guest on this show, episode eight. If you haven't heard that, go back and check it and out. You should read her book. Her new book, Blowout, it's so hard to put down. Anyway, um, I was, How did she you was make on her Air laugh? America, uh, we were talking about that Christian town they built in uh, Florida. I believe it's called Ave Maria. And it's, you know, you, it's a gated community and it's all Christian inside, which is okay. It's their, it's their property, but I called it Ave Sharia because <laughs> it's a bit stringent. And she, she, and like the great Rhodes Scholar kind of went, I was like, yes, I did it. I did it. I got, I got it. I got it. The mouth moved. Uh, but anyway, um, we found you and you made the trip out to LA and we had you on the show. And I, I think after the thing was over, I said to you, I said, do you, do you need people on your team? Is there anything I can do? And you went, are you kidding? We need everything because we're up against everything. I said, then I'm in. So here, and you contacted me and we've been, whatever you need, I, you know, and whenever I see you on TV, I always write you and you get back to me in like 45 seconds. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> yes. Because whenever I see you, like with Rachel or whoever, I, I'm like, that was good, man. Well, it's you're, good to see you. You're a brother in the in the movement to make this world a better place. Trying. You know, and, and for me, this journey's been surreal. But I've always said that, you know, we are fighting the forces of ignorance and, and stupidity, and we are greatly outnumbered. And we need... Uh, an army of people who give a shit and who want to take action and want to get in the arena in the arena and want to push forward this country. And you are a super friend. Like when I sat down with you, that was like meeting with a superhero. I mean, an activist superhero, someone who could recite the fourth amendment, someone who had changed culture and changed minds, but also was incredibly down to earth. So I learned a lot from you, Henry. It was one of the first shows I think I'd ever been on. And it was one of the first shows I was ever excited to be on. Oh, like cool. this was a moment to be able to meet you and then to work alongside you has been an honor. Oh, and, and you have an integrity uh, and a value set that really does stand out in, when I met with folks in Hollywood and music and others. I mean, you would have done just fine in the military. I mean, you are locked in and you know how to do execution and you have a core value set that's very unique in a positive way. So now for me to have not just appeared on your show, but to have worked alongside of you in some ways and, and been around you and now have you on my show. Oh, thanks. That, that, that's, that's a mind blower, man. Well, but yeah. it's also, I think, a testament to the fact that we're just getting started. And in 2004, you and I were talking about a war that hasn't ended, right? right. It's and, still going on. And at this point, you know, I think we, in the United States, we live in an age of eventuality. Because I get asked, like, you know, where are we now? And I say, well, we're in the age of eventuality. And, you know, what does that mean? Here's, like, here's the briefest version of what I mean. Uh, it's, it's addition. Where's the equal sign? I'll get to that in, like, 20 seconds. The invasion and occupation of a landmass by European invaders destroying the indigenous people plus slavery and indentured servitude. 
plus the Civil War, plus the end of the Civil War, the 13th Amendment, 1865, uh, plus the 14th Amendment, 1868, uh, equal protection under the law, plus Jim Crow, plus the institutionalizing of racism and bigotry, minimum wage, plus the Fair Labor Standards Act, was that 1921, 31? Roosevelt, anyway, establishes time and a half for overtime, 40-hour work week, no child labor, plus whatever else, World War II and our invasion as capitalists into Europe to help clean up and make everything better and give them TGI Fridays and Denny's and Starbucks and, and, and. Uh, uh, Plus the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Fair Housing Act of 1965, Watergate, Nixon, and then Reagan, uh, Vietnam, sorry, uh, and then Reagan, which was a huge one, fake populist, corny actor, a guy who couldn't even be bothered to say AIDS, didn't exist, just say no, like that's going to help. Fake war on drugs is just a war on non-white and poor people, plus everything from Oberfell v. Hodges, Citizens United, plus, 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 plus. So when do we get to the damn equal sign so I can stop talking about plus, plus, plus? I think the equal sign is Trump. And I think we've hopped over the equal sign and here we are, where technology often is dictating social intercourse. Like, how did you meet your boyfriend? With my phone, from an app, where language is truncated. See ya, like that's not relating. I'm a man who goes to Starbucks on Friday nights and writes at a high rate of speed while listening to punk rock. So I see all you youngsters with each other. And like two gorgeous people who should be somewhere secluded, naked, having fun, are facing each other, looking at their phones. And maybe I'm just old, like, what the hell are you doing? You're not going to be like this in five years. Get out of here and throw the phone out the window. And so we're living in a time where when, when politicians say, Our democracy is broken. That's a tell, because they're wrong. It's not broken. It's never worked better. Before you get mad at me, and what do I mean by that? It's never worked better. The money keeps going up. The middle class is, is getting smaller. And more Americans see combat as an option, as a paycheck. Like the Bathist Party, all those guys hated Saddam. But it's a pension and a paycheck and three squares and you love your kid and you want him fed. And, this and we let him go out in the street with guns. Right. We took the, we, we took the jobs away and pumped him out into the ecosystem in Baghdad. And, and then they turned around and blew us up. Right. And that guy's not in jail. Right. Anyway, this country has been set up to be crassly consumerist, war-postured where our, our main export items are weapons. And we're, you know, the industrial, the, the prison industrial complex and the military industrial complex, that's, that's it's no joke. It's a moneymaker. And that's why drugs keep flowing because you make money letting them in and not letting them in. You make money when Johnny goes out to war and you make money on the medication and the machines when they come back. And so everyone has credit debt because they need a, a freaking flat screen TV. We've been perfectly set up to be consumer suckers. We are lambs feeding ourselves willfully going to slaughter. And that's the age of eventuality. And that's how a guy like Trump can get elected. I'm older than probably all of you. My mom was a political operative. I come from Washington, D.C. To the left of my mom is Joan Baez in a wall. But back, in, back when she was young, Nixon, Watergate era, she had friends who were left wing and right wing. They would all get together at her apartment on the weekends, martinis, gin and tonics, and political debate, roaring with laughter until one in the morning. You damn communist, you fascist, ha ha ha, see you next Friday. 
love each other. You could talk back and forth. Now, you can't. And that's when Congress actually worked because everyone was educated. And you had an educated elector like, I voted for Nixon. He's got to go. He's a bad man, but you voted for him. That's gone because at least since Reagan, we've had a willful dumbing down of the electorate, which Jefferson warned us against. Like, here's how you get taken over by your own people. You dumb down the electorate. And that's the only way a guy like Trump can get elected when a lot of people, and when you say we're up against the stupid and ignorant people, I'm not trying to disagree with you. You're up against a lot of people who are working one point something jobs. How come you don't read? Read? I don't have time to eat. I'm up at 0330, three kids, an upside down house, a crap car, a crap job, and my wife is working at a coffee place and she's cleaning houses and my kid has ADD and needs special care. Read? Read? Screw you and your books. I can't even afford my kids' books. Right. And, and so this country is, that's how in crisis, the strong voice, no matter what it's saying, gets heard. Like, I can fix it. Mexico will build the wall. A lot of people want, hell yeah, man, do it. And here we are. So we're in this age of eventuality. So the enemies are myriad. And I, I don't want to call, I, I don't use the word deplorable to describe an American. Uh, I, they're just, they don't have the right intel. And some people, yeah. you're never going to get them the right intel. Like my father, who's a PhD and a fantastic racist, a tremendous misogynist, an outstanding <laughs> uh, homophobe. Um, he's, he's, but he's a PhD. He should know better. Um, is whatever he thinks of global warming, I don't know. I don't know where he lives. Um, but you can't shake him because he knows what he knows, and that's it. So there's a lot of Americans you're not going to be able to get to. And so the idea of we... Um, we are not going to make it, but you're going to make it and you can influence your friends. But we, we are kind of done. And that's, and so democracy isn't broken. It's kind of working like your slave owning lawyer founders built it to work. Hmm. Professor Henry Rollins, ladies and gentlemen. And I say that with, with utmost respect. No, because you have been, so when I say fighting the forces of ignorance and stupidity, I mean the 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 actuality no, of it you're not right the, not but the i'm people. just saying when it comes down no, to a no, person you're, you're right they need help more than I, being taunted i think we're going to be in heated agreement a lot henry um but but i think what you're bringing is is a voice that's piercing through it that little exchange that that answer is what i hope people who are listening at home are here in in the hotel cafe go back and listen to three times because you were moving so fast through so many things with such precision and such expertise that that's what I have not seen anyone do like you. And, and it's, that's why so many people follow you and want to hear you and want to see what you're thinking because you're able to break it down in a way where it sounds like music. Well, I have to break it down for myself. I'm a yeah. high school graduate. Yeah. Who's high on Ritalin for the entirety of high school. <laughs> but let's, let's talk. So I have to ask you a question, Henry. A question I ask of all our guests on Angry American. Um, what is your drink of choice? Well, I That's got a, a, my glass of water here, but uh, coffee is also good. And, and do you not drink alcohol? Or I don't do drink alcohol. My party line is, uh, and it's fairly true. Uh, I got drunk four times during the Carter administration. I just never liked it. I drank because my schoolmates drank or, you know, tried it out. I wanted to hang out and be part of the thing. And, like, you know, three Michelobes later, you know, I always puked. And I just didn't like the feeling of, like, I can't walk, I can't ride my skateboard. And I just said something really stupid, which is easy for me anyway. 
And so, but alcoholic, don't help him. Cause, <laughs> and, and so it was never, and the, the, the neighborhood I was raised in, like Ian Mackay of Fugazi and Minor Threat, we've been best friends since we were 12. Ian has never even looked at a drink or smoked anything. He's never been high except on life and rock and roll, man. And we just, we don't, during the summer vacation, we had a skate ramp. We're up at 7 a.m. on a Wednesday to get more skate time in. We're like, want to get high? High? What, you can't walk? We want to skate. We want to be on our bikes. I got a job in two hours I got to go run to. I'm doing my minimum wage hustle. I can't be high. I'm just simply not interested. And then I came out here and joined Black Flag, and I thought I understood hard work. And then I get in with Greg Good and Chuck Tukowski and you learn what hard work is. I was like, oh, this is going to hurt because they were so hardworking. There is no time to not know where your keys are. And as a guy pushing, I'm leaning on 60 so hard as saying, Al, get off me. Um, and everything hurts. I'm so high on ibuprofen right now. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't have time because I, I do a seven-day week like most of you do, just trying to do stuff. And so any stimulant... I don't even know if I feel coffee. I'm kind of like this. I haven't had coffee for like 20 hours. I'm kind of like this anyway. I don't even know if coffee helps or anything. And so any downer, me being the kind of person who's kind of always depressed anyway, um, anything that helps that, I would go a thousand miles to get away from. You, I think, just in part describe what I think is your superpower. This, this unique Henry Rollins energy, insight, productivity, um, volume of thoughtful content. But I can give you the ingredients of the sausage of the superpower, if you like. Please. Yeah. What are the ingredients of the sausage you of the Henry it. Rollins superpower? I got nothing else going on. That's it. <laughs> I, I just work. I, I come up with these ideas, and I'm like, wow, I got the whole weekend. My phone's not ringing. Well, I guess I better start writing this thing. And I spent a lot of time in economy going really far distances. We were like, wow, I can't feel my legs. And like, we're still on the Pacific. Sydney is nine hours away. Well, then I'll just come up with how to fix America. And I just come and I just sit because ideas are fun. No one has to get hurt. And you can just go and they just go away. And so I like, well, how can I fix that? Like, how can you fix the Constitution? Well, what if you treat the Constitution like the Old Testament? And you make a New Testament that addresses semi-automatic rifles and, 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 and. And so you make the Constitution V2. That's what I come up with in 32J back with the dogs in the mail and students going to Holland for the first time. And I'm back there with them like brain. And so, I, and I talk for a living on stage. I'm always trying to find something I can bring to an audience outside of America. Like how can we homo sapiens get somewhere in, a, in an age of like, you know, people moving like Syrians in France and everyone's moving around because governments are falling over and global climate change is really dictating human movement now. And so um, I, I just devote my time to that because I, I, I don't, drink. I don't hang out. I don't socialize. I'm not antisocial. I don't hate people. Quite the opposite. I just, on a Friday night, hey, come to a party. Are you kidding? With people? I, I just don't know what to do. So I'll just go hole up and work like an idiot till Sunday night. Like, I just, I just ate my weekend again. I always come to at like 8 p.m. on Sunday, like, damn, it's mo Monday's tomorrow. And I didn't do anything but stare at this damn screen and clack away or whatever. You're, you're very humble about it, but that's also genius. I've met geniuses. There's nothing like me. 
I'm just, I'm just desperate. I just, I just, I'm really trying to do stuff. I expected you to answer in that way, Henry, but I, but I also am, am continuously impressed by, you know, you, you see the world. Literally, you're on that economy flight. I've gotten emails from you from all over part of the, yeah, the world. About 100 you, countries. You have a very high sense of understanding of what's happening in the world. I, That's part of your genius, well, I think, is the empathy I, and the understanding and I being able to. It. It's not one of those things where I sit and meditate about it. I'm too hyper for that. Like, I watch a documentary. It's a brochure. But you're not, you all have traveled. Like when something goes, well, here's what Africa's like. Eh, I'll go find the continent on my own. Well, this documentary, documentary makes me want to go see something. And if you've ever endured any of my talking shows, you've never heard me say, well, I read this book and I, I, if I talk about any country, it's like, well, when I was in Islamabad, here's what happened. Right. And I have that story. It's insane. I was there when Benazir Bhutto was assassinated right in the middle of it. And like they closed the airport. I'm like, I'm here for a week because I'm not going anywhere. So I just went where the smoke was and just watched riots. And so, and hold on, stay there if you can. Yeah. What else do we need to know about that experience? I still got all 10 fingers. That's what you need to know. What what I, what I was in the midst of, you know, people freaking out because Bhutto was assassinated. People, older men on the day after there's no women on the street till sundown. I, I, I don't know the politic of that. So it's men and boys lighting things on fire, prayers in the streets, uh, and me is walking around. And men were like, my friend, are you lost? I'm like, oh, no, I'm at that hotel up there. Uh, why are, are you a journalist? No. Diplomat? No. Why are you here? I said in my joke, when people ask me that, I go, I'm here to meet you. My name's Henry. It always gets a laugh. And I've used that from here to Tehran, and it always breaks the ice. And I'm, I'm here to meet you, man. And I, but crazy timing. I just got here and this happened the next evening. And um, they're like, well, I'm sorry you had to see our country like this. I said, I, I hope you get past this. And so everywhere I've been, like Syria, Lebanon, wherever, people are, they, they're like, are you, are you lost? I'm lost wandering around. And I go, no, no, I, I paid a lot of money for the visa to be here. I, I want to be here. I'm not lost. Well, I don't know where I am. But um, I'm, I'm here on purpose. And they're like, wow, thanks for being curious. Like when I was in Iran, uh, people speak English better than at least half of, of Congress. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, people are saying, thanks for not judging us. Thanks for being curious. And they go, Who, where's your backup? I'm, I'm alone. They're like, because I'm, I'm not a tough guy in any way at all. But I'm just curious. And I reckon sincerity and curiosity will get you into trouble, certainly, but it might get you out of it as well. Like, you don't want to walk down that street, I'm telling you, because you look kind of wide-eyed. And like, streets of Cairo at night, you got to really watch it. And I, I, I've been down a lot of them. And so um, I let my curiosity and my quest for a human truth be my guide. And that's led me to North Korea, uh, all over the Middle East, Central Asia, you know, wherever, Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, a horse, a bite, it starts as beef, chew, chew, goes south to something. You're like, never again. Swallow it. There's guests. I uh, have more. I'm like, no. <laughs> and so I just go to these places. And so far, I'm okay. I'm, I'm gearing up for my second trip to the Antarctic Peninsula in November. I was there a few years ago. But this time, I'm going to start the Falkland Islands and take the longer trip through Ushuaia, Drake Passage, to the edge of the Antarctic Peninsula, just to see how it's changed since I've been there last time. I've had this 
image of you doing some variation of that when I've gotten emails from you over the last decade and a half from different points of the world. Yeah. But to hear you describe it is 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 fantastic um, because I had an idea in my mind, Henry, that it was that pure. But to hear you describe it and understand that and the fact that you're not taping it, you're not tweeting from there. You're absorbing it and processing it yeah, and then commu communicating, writing it. Um, yeah. But your journey started back in D.C. Yep. And I want to ask you a question I ask of all of our guests. And all of our guests I describe as important, inspiring, and or iconic. And I think you are all three and then some. But you started out in D.C., Henry Rollins, what was your first car? Uh, 1968 VW Fastback with a dent in the hood from where a mace canister bounced off it <laughs> when my mom was stopped in a riot on the way home. And I graduated from high school in 1879. And my mom said, you know, I'm getting married. My new husband's going to have a car. Why don't you take this one? I'm like, well, yeah, thanks. And it still works. It's a pretty tough car, VW. And later, uh, within a few weeks, when I became homeless, it, it became my home, where the UK sub song, I Live in a Car, became my personal anthem at a minute and 31 seconds. And I'd sleep in the fetal position in the back of my VW Fastback until I finally found an apartment to live in. And so that was my first car. And what and color was it? Blue. What and it was my, mom, it was my mom's uh, VW. What kind of blue, Henry? It was a, kind of a royal blue. It was very nice. And it, it never broke down. It was a pretty damn dependable car. And it got in a car accident. Someone rammed my mom. They ran, they ran a stop sign and they fixed it. And then I had it. And as you know, having your car is a, the most amazing freedom injection. You're like, I'm going to go to Dunkin' Donuts because I can. <laughs> and Ian had his car. And like suddenly gigs are in New York are open to us because these bands wouldn't come to D.C., all these can, cool can British I, can bands. I, can so. I ask you to stop there for a second? Because yeah. part of what I hope this conversation does is introduce you to some new folks and a new generation. Um, my dear friend Shad Mishad is here today for this live event, and he's a legendary Vietnam veteran activist. Um, and I often feel like I need to reintroduce who are kind of the elders of, of my community, of the veterans community, people like Max Cleland and Wayne Smith and Bobby Muller and Shad Mishad, uh, folks who aren't students of social movements or weren't living in that time, I don't know if they fully appreciate the importance of those leaders and others. And, and I want a chance to kind of reintroduce you to maybe a younger generation, maybe folks who haven't tracked on you, but your origin story is important. How you got from mom's VW to this place you're at now and that crossover into Black Flag and so many other things. For people who don't know the story, how do you want them to know it? Well, the, the, to know the truth. Uh, I was a poor student who barely scraped out of high school. Math just befuddled me. I liked English. That was okay. But uh, history was never taught to me by, with any great enthusiasm. I became a fan later. And so I barely got out of high school. I, I'm not that smart. I went right in meaningfully into the minimum wage working world, like as, as you do when you're young, 60 hours a week, you know, whatever you're doing, having already known it from high school, because I had three jobs all the time because I liked working. So I, I was working at an ice cream store, Haagen-Dazs. Black Flag became my favorite band. I just saw them in New York one time, and I was like, that's, that's what I want to do. I want to be that one. I want that guy's job. 
Um, a few months after that, the band came back to the East Coast, didn't play Washington, but played New York. So I take the VW and I take a day off work and I jam up there and I see the band play. I kind of knew them at that point, so I scammed in on the guest list. Help them load out of the Irving Plaza into a smaller club. It's like second and A and help them load in, watch a guy get stabbed. Uh, I think it was John Joseph of the Cro-Mags and I humping black flag gear and like, that's a stabbing. It's the East Village, man. And so yeah. we loaded in and I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, I gotta be at work in like seven hours. I gotta jam back to work, take a shower in the work sink, put on a, a fresh shirt and scoop ice cream. So I said to Des, the singer, I said, can I, can I request a song? They're playing a tiny club about this big, uh, a song called Clocked In, because it's about going to work. And Des says, hey, this is for Henry, because he's he's got to go to work. And then Des went, you see, he just handed the mic. I hopped up on stage. I kind of knew the song. And I remember the band members kind of going, oh, Henry's going to sing. It's, it's a party. Go ahead. I sang it the way I thought a Black Flag should, song should be done, like lungs come out, people cringe in fear. And like, you know, head explodes. I gave the mic back 90 seconds later. And everyone kind of went, uh, even a New York audience was like, ah, and I, I'll never forget the members of Black Flag looking at me going like, huh, that was, we're awake now. And I got, it, I got in my car thinking I was in Black Flag for 90 seconds, my whole stinking life of like failure after humiliated failure for 90 seconds, I was where I really want to be. The next day, the phone at haagen rings, which never happens unless it's the boss. And it was a member of Black Flag saying, hey, we're still in New York. We're holding auditions because Des, the great singer, wants to move to rhythm guitar. Would you like to come up and audition? Because we liked what you did the other night. I'm not a person imbued with courage. I, you know, I'm, I, I'm nervous. But I realized I'm, I'm 20. This is never coming my way again. Jobs like this are a dime a dozen. So I worked all of them in Northwest D.C. I could spend enough time here to where Bruce Springsteen's going to come in and do a three-album concept record about me at this job. <laughs> He's working! And, <laughs> and I'll, I'll be living in the car again, or I can go up there and make a fool of myself with my favorite band. So I, I took a train up to, to New York audition, which was, here's the mic, here's the band. I don't know any of the songs. They hadn't made many records yet. We're going to play the set twice. You do the best you can. So I yelped and hollered for 90 minutes. And they said, we're going to have a band meeting. You go to the lobby of the practice place. I figured it'd be like hours as they discuss and bring out the skull and the candle. And <laughs> they came out like a minute and a half later. You're in. And I said, in what? They said, in Black Flag. I said, who? You? Me? Yeah. Doing what? Their singer. Who? You? It just went around and around. Because I still have like an ice cream scoop in my hand, in my mind. And I said, so what's going to happen? And one of them said, you're going to go back to D.C. and you're going to hug your little mommy goodbye. You're going to quit your job, pack a duffel bag. Here's the tour itinerary and you meet us as soon as you can. I go, for what? Because they go, do you want this or not? I went, yeah, yeah. And then I think the, one of the road crew guys said, yeah, because we need to make the first ever Black Flag album, which got made up the street from here. And I, I said, so who's on that? They're like, what part of this are you not <laughs> comprehending? And I wasn't articulate enough at the time to say, oh, oh, excuse me, I've been working for 375 an hour listening to Frampton Comes Alive on the radio. And now I'm, I'm, now I'm in Black Flag. Yes, that was, that was it. I was handed this insane folder of lyrics, which I clutched on the Amtrak back. And I told my boss, who's still my pal to this day, and I said, hey, Steve, I'm leaving. I was running his store. 
and I don't steal. So I was, you know, making the deposit at night. And he, he goes, I'll give you $4 an hour. Like, and I said, no, thank you. He helped me get my first apartment. Like he, he stood up for me. We're still pals. Anyway, I said, no, sir. I, I explained, I said, this is, he goes, you know what? You got to do this. I get it. It's not going to work out. So when you come back in two weeks, you can have your job back. I said, thank you. Cause you never know. So I called Ian and I said, so what do you think? And you know, he's, He's the, he said, are you kidding? They're lucky to have you. This is going to be great. Get ready. I'm taking you to the Greyhound station. I still have the ticket. And I went overnight, unable to sleep. I got dropped off at the bus station. I took a taxi to Clutch Cargos, I think. It's a venue. And I walk in with my duffel bag. I beat the band there. They're driving from somewhere else. It's like the afternoon. And the woman behind the bar, hello, would you like something to drink? And I said, yeah, I'm in the band. It was the first time I, I said, I'm in Black Flag. It's the first time I said that as a declarative statement. And she said, okay, what would you like to drink? I said, I'll have a Coke, please. And I got the Coke with like, it's like syrup with an ice cube at the top. And I sat at this bar with this awful bubble-free Coke going like, free drinks? Like, <laughs> and then, you know, the whole thing. And then weeks later, I'm out here. And months later, I'm up the street where the Trader Joe's is now on Santa Monica, west of La Cienega. That was a different building. And that's where damage was made in November, October, November 1981. And around the corner, Fun House was made by the Stooges at Electra. And so it's a rock and roll intersection. But I, I came out here at age 20, 150 pounds, completely out of fish out of water. So I'd walk to that 7-Eleven on La Cienega because I had 25 cents for a Three Musketeers bar because they're big. And there's boys my age in hot pants, rent boys. And I'm like, whoa, like, wow, that's not where I come from. And I, I was introduced to a whole new world of, what's that, heroin? You're, you're doing heroin? Like, I, am I in a movie? And you met people who sold their bodies just to get by? You know, you, I met some really intense people my own age runaway 15-year-olds, like, go home. I can't go home. Why? They tell you a story about abuse. Right. And suddenly you're getting a whole inoculation or an injection of a, a different kind of America than my blinding white Sears and Roebuck underwear and endless supply of SpaghettiOs and private school informed me. And so I came out here completely soft and like, ah, and within a year, I, you know, this city in that era would do it to you as far as getting grown up. Wow. Yeah. But, um, but thank you, thank you for sharing the, that, from, Henry, from because the, I want to, I want to, I want to tell you, that, I think that what world. you, that is, if Henry Rollins is a superhero, okay, that's the Henry Rollins origin story when you got kind of recruited by the X-Men to go on another level. I mean, this is a story that's about you. It's about punk rock. It's about socioeconomic times it's about class it's about cities the, your story is in part the great american dream like kind they're, of, they're, yeah. they're they're they're, they're generations of americans come here work your ass off hope for that moment and and it can happen it's what and it's supposed so, to be about can i can i ask you henry did you know in that moment that your entire life and the trajectory of your experience was going to change forever yes I realized I was taking a hell of a risk and I, I, I didn't fear death. I'm not, a, I just didn't think I was going to die out here. Well, a couple of times, but I just knew that I'm changing my life. I gave away all my stuff, my records, my little punk rock collection lived at discord Ian's place 
until like five years ago, he finally said, we're shipping your 2045s back to you now that you kind of live in LA for the last three decades. And, and he actually boxed up the shelf they were in, which I've had since age six, a Sears and Roebuck prefab shelf. He shipped that out too. Anyway, um, I realized coming out here, I'm, I'm on the other coast. I'm, in, I'm living on the floor of an office, sleeping on my, with my shoes as a pillow and a trench coat as a blanket, wondering where breakfast is coming from. I, it was a huge life change. And August 21st of that year, I'm on stage at the Cuckoo's Nest, my first ever full-fledged gig as the singer. And it was a really intense five years of being in this sustained moment because Black Flag, you didn't sleep. You just were in that band. And then immediately into my solo thing. But in the middle of that time, started doing talking shows, started writing like for Spin Magazine and writing my own little fold and staple books and realizing a different part of me that I could tap into. Uh, I started writing out of loneliness. Um, you're on the road, you're in a place, some tough bar. You have all day to hang out. I bought a notebook and said, I just watched a cocaine deal go down and I just saw this and there's two undercover cops who are here because this is my life. That turned into a book called Get in the Van. But my journal was like someone to listen to me whine about, you know, I'm lonely, I'm hungry, I, my, my feet hurt, whatever. And it turned into a book company which I own and still operates, and a staff, and, and, and. And I just learned that I'm out here far away from home. I have to learn to say yes to things. Uh, summer 1984, I was 23. I'm surrounded by amazing talent. Bad Brains, Who's Could Do, Minor Threat. All my friends are talented. Miniman, Sacrum Trust. Everyone around me is incredible. Big Boys, The Dicks, all these great Texas bands. I'm the one guy who can't play an instrument. Between tours, amazing musicians. What do you do between tours? Um, waiter, live with mom. I'm like, okay, I can't even, I can't even pick up a guitar, much less play one. What am I going to do? I better come up with plans B, C, D, E, F, and G, or I'm going to starve to death because music is going to keep me broke. And so I'll pursue the writing thing. And then someone said, Hey, you want to try a voiceover? What is that? Yes. Uh, what is it? In 88, I was living in Silver Lake on Maltman and Crispin Glover was over at my place. And he said, Henry, you should consider acting. And I said, why? I'm trying to do this whole independent music thing. It keeps me very occupied. He said, because basically in his own polite way, he said, because you're nuts. And I said, well, I'll give it a shot if, it, you know, if I ever get an offer. Like within six weeks, UCLA was doing a student film. They said, hey, we have a role for a lunatic. Why don't you show up? And that, so that's turned into another film and another film and another film. Like, hey, you're, you're interested in stuff. You want to host a documentary? Yeah. And that ended up National Geographic History Channel, uh, animated voiceover, commercial voiceover, et cetera. And, 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 and. And so it's just saying yes to things, being as prepared as you can be but with curiosity and kind of figuring out acting's a banjo. I come from guitar, emote, be present, disciplined, focused, sneak into some movie and suddenly you're doing scenes with Al Pacino. And that happened to me. Hey, Mr. Pacino, call me Al, call me Al. <laughs> and so I have many experiences where I'm like, whoa, because I'm still the guy in the ice cream store in my head. Right. I drive a Mazda 6 and I try and keep it real. And, and so that's how I keep myself going. I don't, I don't trip on myself. I'm interested in everything but me. Mm. And everything is important but me. When you take yourself seriously, you, you 
you, you've been around those people. This, yeah. They're unendurable. <laughs> but everything else yeah. you take seriously. I was going to ask you what your advice would be for yourself or for someone who's going through the grind right now. But it was packed into that. And that, that's part of what I love about hearing you speak is it is an articulation of many things, but it's also life lessons. And you have extremely powerful life lessons that have guided you. And, and I mentioned to you before we came up here that you're kind of like a samurai. Like you, you have this very different discipline, which is very, very important. And part of why I think we have connected at times. Like I told the crew, I was like, Henry's going to be here on time. Henry's going to be here fucking early. We got to be ready. In the military, if you're on time, you're late. Henry is early every time and he's standing there and he's ready to fucking go. I put the punk in punctual. <laughs> hey, now! <laughs> I had a whole team of writers do that for me. <laughs> but you do it with an incredible, you do it with an incredible energy and you do it with so much depth and complexity and dynamism and speed and rhythm. Um, and, and it's inspiring. But when I conceived of this show, Angry Americans, I put together my guest list, uh, dream guest list. And you were in the top five, like you were among the top three, probably. I was like, Henry, if I can get Henry, he will understand this and he will understand that anger is a real thing. And, and if you channel it, you can channel it into positive places in some ways. That, that, if we were, that's the important, right. And we were going to, you know, I was going to say George Washington was an angry American. You know, Martin Luther King was an angry American. Harvey Milk was an angry American. You know what? It's natural to be angry. It is an emotional response to what you are experiencing, what you choose to do with it. Yeah. And, and how it, we well, that's everything. and how we talk about it yeah. is essential, especially in an environment where we have a president that manipulates it and co-ops it and channels it into negativity. But at at its core, I think you understand how to ride the lightning of anger in a very unique way. Well, so, your anger at some so point. Let me let me ask you, Henry. Yeah. Straight up, Henry Rollins. What makes you angry? Injustice. That's like as far as a single word, injustice. A woman goes to work and, like, her boss is like, you know, hey, good to see you. You do that to a man? We men, we don't understand that kind of harassment because it doesn't happen to men like it happens to pretty much every woman I've ever met has some story. And I'm not saying some story. Like, a story. We're like, yeah. And, I, and the woman has to be like, great, I got to go to my desk now when I should be ripping your head off. And that's the kind of, that's like to be, it's a huge umbrella. And there's a lot of things under the injustice umbrella. Everything from Bill and Tom can't get married because this person won't sign the thing. Lady, you're a clerk. You sign the document and let these two people go have their crazy short life together. They're not honeymooning at your place. Just get a life. And it's that kind of injustice you see anywhere in the world there's humans it's not an American thing. It's a homo sapiens thing. And that's why I say we're not, we're not seeing the end of war in this lifetime. It's just too much of a moneymaker. You and I, we, this kind of we, can tell our friends we can't, we had a protest against it. And at some point, your anger must turn into compassion. Like, that's why I don't use the word deplorable. You know, there's a lot of people I disagree with in this country. A lot of people in office I disagree with. What's happening now? I just, nothing but disagreement. But there's, uh, you, you drill down deep enough and there's, a, there's, there's some humanity in there. And I've been lucky to hear so many people tell me their stories. Uh, I've done a lot of work with like Make-A-Wish. I'm hanging out with a 15-year-old kid who's going to die and he wanted to meet me, and I, I'm sitting in his hospital room with him, and he's like, man, you ever meet the Beastie Boys? I'm like, yeah. 
you want a Beastie Boys story? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. And like, I got him. I got you know, all kinds of stories like that. I'm sitting with a kid. There's so much stuff he's never going to do, you know? And like, when, whenever I think of like, oh, there's someone who's pissing me off. I think of that kid. There's, um, there's a person right now who is in a very bad way with their health, who I'm writing a daily letter to. And um, just because we don't know how long. And so I write a daily letter. I put in pictures like, you know, here's a photo of the apartment I lived in and I'm going to write you tomorrow. So, you know, rest comfortably. And this is at some point your anger has to, it can't turn into, I'm taking a gun to the rally. It can't turn into, here's these knuckleheads I don't like. Well, I'm bringing some pain they're not going to believe because you're not going to change their minds, even with logic, but you're not going to change it with a baseball bat. You will go to jail. It is assault. You can't afford the lawyer. And there has to be a better way forward. I have heard stories, you know, from USO tours. I've heard stories from moms who come to my gigs and after the show, they, I didn't go to the show. I don't know who you are, but my son had all your DVDs and they got sent home with his stuff after he was killed. So I just want to thank you because you meant something to him. And you're like, you're hugging some mom. And this has happened to me a lot. Like my brother, yeah. he and I used to come see you, man. And like, he's gone, but here's his bracelet. I want you to have it. You're like, okay, I got rings, it's all this stuff. And yeah. so my compassion and, and space and level of Buddha-like patience yeah. for the human state. When I was young, I had no time out. You know, screw the lot of you. I'm young and I'm hard-headed. As I've gotten older and you see how people live in what is now South Sudan. Like, where's your roads? We don't have any. Drive in the ravine. Where's your water? It's the thing with all the bugs in it. You're going to feed that to your kid? Sure. And I, I'll i be in Uganda in a couple of months back again uh, with an NGO I work with. Um, and you see stuff, and you're like, okay, my heart goes out to every person there is. <laughs> like, he's in the clan. Yeah. He needs a P funk record. Yeah, like, like, he he just, he's one beat away from going. Oh, what was I thinking? This doesn't fit anyway. So and, and and so that's what travel and hearing stories that have been said to me from people all over. You know, like people like hanging out at your show all afternoon because they got nowhere else to go. So you hang out with a guy who's missing four teeth because the cops beat the the daylights out of them. And at this point, you know, you, you want to hug trees and everything else <laughs> because everyone's got some pain in them and you got to, if you're going to, you got to help a little, even if it's just letting someone cut in front of you in traffic because they got in the wrong lane, yeah. hopefully they'll do it for you when you screw up by the Beverly center. That's that inter It sucks yeah. that intersection. And you're <laughs> so Henry, you're helping a lot of people. And that's another reason I wanted to well, talk they to help you. me. Yeah. They help me understand. But, so. but you are helping so many people and touching so many people. And, you know, if someone was going to Google you and they could find an image of you from Black Flag and I, and I told them that's one of the kindest people I know, they might be surprised. But you are kind and you Working care at it. and you are able to, to balance a lot under extreme pressure and, and high demands throughout your career. But you've always had an understanding of people's pain. And I developed it. Yeah. When I was younger, you know, I'm, you know I was 20, uh, incredibly insecure. That much hasn't changed probably. And I didn't, you know, I don't want to hear about it. 
But then you, you hear enough stories and you get a little older, a little wiser. You see more of the, the physical world. Like in rock and roll allowed me to go to, hey, Australia, Japan, Europe. But me wanting to see the world got me to the African continent, the Middle East, Central Asia, Southeast Asia, wherever else. And you hear stories, you know, you walk in South Sudan, you're bullet casings everywhere. T-shirts right. of dead soldiers coming out of cornfields. You're like, wow. And the stories from all of that. And so you earn, for me, it's been a learning experience, like chin-ups, like I got to yeah. get more, because I see the truth, I, I can't handle it yet. Now that guy sucks. No, no, he's got faulty intel or someone got to him. That's the, that's the hard pull up because you got to earn that last three inches to get your chin to the bar because that guy sucks, but you got to find a way to see yourself and see through it. And that's, that's, for me, was a hell of a struggle. Some people, they walk right into it, and they just have that understanding. Me, it was like carrying a pack up sheer vertical. But I got uh, there. Well, you did. I'm on my way, you're, as they say. Yeah, you may want to get even higher, but you're pretty high, you know, relative to the rest of well, humanity. It's a journey. And always, always. You're never, it's like, you, I, I want to ask you, though, because your, your leadership role is something that I feel like those of you who have been in your network, who have read it, go to your shows, they understand how you are, in many ways, for our country, a, a modern thought leader. That's how I would describe you in many ways, because it trans, you, are, you are looking at our society, you're looking at our culture, you're looking at our politics, and you're not afraid to talk about our leaders. So I cannot have you on this show without asking you, what do you think about Trump? And what do you think about this moment in time for America, given that perch that you do have that is unique and this depth of experience and this depth of understanding? Well, as I said before, he's eventual. Uh, there'd be a guy or a guy like him, you know, fake car salesman, just a, a huckster. And I watched him during the campaign. I watched Hillary not connect with audiences. And, you know, I, I thought she would have been a great president. But she's cold. Uh, she not mean, but like she's scholarly and really smart. And she can't break it down. And I talk to people for a living. I'm like, you're not getting any laughs. No one, no one's grooving with you. You know, you're not, you're not penetrating. You're, you're not being, you're not allowing to be saturated. You're not stirring it up. Trump is getting laughs. I've watched his speeches too. And I'm like, wow, okay, that was when you got, I forget what politician, Lindsey Graham, like, here's his number. I got, that's funny. Where he gave it to his private number to the press corps. I'm like, that's kind of hilarious. But you're bad news. And so I think he's what you get when you have a bunch of people who are pissed off because their government has failed them. Their government has, you know, killed their crops, killed their son, uh, screwed up their health care, whatever else you want to there's uh, so many things on that list. And one guy comes in and says, Washington sucks. He's basically punk rock. I'm going to come in there and wreck the joint because they're a bunch of stiffs. And I, I got you. I got it. And they were, they went, finally, my man. Because like the, the, the professor over here, uh, but you, you know, and a guy like that gets in. A guy like that, Paul, gets eight years. And not in, not in. <laughs> not at Rikers. <laughs> and so I'm very afraid of the Democrats never losing an opportunity to never missing an opportunity to miss an opportunity. And so I, I, I worry about another four years because you see now that he's been emancipated from being removed from office yeah. just in the last 10 days. He's like a guy who's like literally drunk on power, like right. this 
quid pro quo with you stand down the court cases and I'll give you your truckers entry passes like in broad daylight. That's how bold this guy is. And so it's a, it's in a way, it's a time to frown, but it's also a time to take the frown and play jujitsu and flip it into a smile. This is where your words and your deeds matter more than ever. Um, your your the fact that you will not tolerate homophobia or racism or misogyny that you can rub off on your friends that you can help divorce your friends from their remaining prejudices that you, you can be influential in that way in the face of this that you can get to your weird uncle who spouts this stuff at thanksgiving by showing him something or introducing him to someone um so now your words and your actions mean more than ever because it's not we it's going to be individuals going like not on my watch and not picking up a rock but picking up an idea and taking some time to lift like lincoln wanted all the boats being lifted by the same tide and and so that's what it's time for it's time for citizen heroics not violence like seeing it really pulling back and getting the big the the wide shot going okay Here's and the fact that Congress and the Senate lets him do this stuff. I'm madder at them than I am at Trump. Like no, none of you were surprised what Trump did. You knew that guy before he showed up. Right. He's just doing his thing. In a way, he's kind of the cleanest guy in the whole damn thing. He's just being him. It's like a serial killer. He killed someone. Oh, what do you think he's gonna do? And he told you he was going to do he it. Told he told you. you on the campaign he was going to do it. Yeah. He told you exactly what he was going to do. And, on that and the question level, is, how much of it can he actually get done? Well, how much of it can he fulfill with a... Well, yeah. with guys like Barr around? So let me ask you to take that a step a step further, Henry. We, you mentioned jail. You know, now some of his accomplices are going to jail. We're in the hotel cafe. And, and for folks that don't know, this is a music venue founded, I believe, in, in 2000. But uh, around turn of the century... This was a jail. <laughs> we are in a block that was a jail and there was a fire station nearby. And I think that's kind of fitting because we've we've got some going to jail and we need firefighters to try to figure out how to contain this fire, potentially put it out or move it in a different direction. When when you look at the landscape of candidates, Henry, what yeah. do you think? Because you have this very unique understanding. What your breakdown of Hillary and, and Trump is 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 very, very powerful yeah. and very unique and, and very she would on. have been good but yeah. she couldn't sell it but evaluate the rest of now we're coming out of new hampshire we're coming out of iowa we're going into more primary now it's getting real it looks like some candidates are starting to emerge and the pack is separating what do you think of the field well i just trump intimidates me just because i i, I think any one of them would be better than trump I've never thought this before in my life. I think I would be better than Trump. No I doubt. Think, no I doubt. Think, I think. No doubt. No doubt. Well, no doubt. But 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 please yeah. let, let me finish. Rollins I, for president. I, I, I think any of you would be better than Trump. And, and we haven't spent time in a submarine. I don't know how you voulez-vous. But I'm just saying I've never watched an American president who went, really? You just dissed Angela Merkel? You let me in, coach. Like I, I got this. I can at least get this thing to lunch. Uh, I've, you know, and I'm, you know, no bright uh, light, but you watch this guy, you're like, this is so embarrassing. Like, yeah, how do you, how, I've you're getting, how do you fuck president. up traumatic brain injury? And then how do you double down on your fuck up on traumatic brain injury? You talked about it earlier. Well, because you, you, you understood, you and I understood Ultimately, traumatic brain injury care. in 2004. Yeah. And now almost 20 years later, he does not care. 
And he, and, he, and he not only doesn't care, he's so drunk on power that he's okay with doubling down on it and saying, not only did I did I dismiss traumatic brain injury, he didn't diminish it. He dismissed it. Yeah, he I said traumatic so. brain injury is a headache. I and then he went a step further and said, yeah, you know, I, I believe in what I said and I'm not taking it back. But when you look at these guys and gals, right? Yeah. Now now it's emerged. You got, you know, Buttigieg and, and Warren and Klobuchar and Bloomberg maybe on, on the more moderate side. And then you've got Bernie Sanders coming out of New Hampshire with a head of steam and Elizabeth Warren's still around. I mean, what, what do you see among those candidates? What I see is how do I take any one of these very good people and sell them to the Midwest and the South? How do I flip Kentucky, Mississippi, Florida? How do I get Texas to come my way? How do I get these states, Ohio, Indiana? I can't go in with a gay guy because homophobia is a thing in this country. Can I go in with a woman? Well, what, what Trump's... Uh, I hate that word. What um, what outdoes as far as bigotry, uh, homophobia, misogyny, like misogyny, like people hate women, uh, not you, not us, but it's a thing where I don't care if he's black, but that's a woman and she can't tell me what to do. And you'll have women saying that like, wow, wow. And so it's hard to sell a woman and it's hard to sell a gay person. And I think all of the women running and all of the gay people running for president this time around are really exceptional. I love Buttigieg's Rhodes Scholar calm frame of mind. I think that would be great internationally, which ultimately is what your president is, your international calling card. I think he would get along with Europe and repair. I think he would get along uh, and not be fooled by Russia. I think he'd be very Obama-esque with Putin. Instead of like, come on over, buddy, he'd be doing chess. Putin's not that smart and his country's broke. He's more desperate than I think uh, you read Rachel's book. You'll learn all about it. Um, so, And Elizabeth Warren? What do, you, what do you think? I've of? always loved Elizabeth Warren since I saw her in that documentary, Maxed Out, about credit debt when she was just a professor. I said, she's amazing. Right. And so I like her. I just don't know how you sell these people to angry, scared people who are looking at their 401k. So you, you do have a very powerful understanding. You've been to every corner of this country. Pretty much. And, yeah. and you do know America in a, in a way that few people do. So the candidates we didn't mention, can you sell a Democratic Socialist in Bernie Sanders? And, you know, Bernie, I, I really like. Uh, and I think he's right about everything. He's a fair man. I just think when you say socialist in a country, he's a socialist. Define socialism. Well, it's a, uh, and that's how you get beat up because the guy can't, def, he can't define it. But he knows he's against it. He knows, exactly. Like, and so they, they love ACA, but they hate Obamacare. Right. And so I don't know how you sell Bernie in the, the aforementioned states I mentioned. As much as I like so it. So that leaves us left with, you know, Klobuchar, uh, Biden, and Bloomberg. I think Biden is dead in the water. I think he did. He just did what he's done every time he runs. He goes, he goes, he goes, and then everyone just goes like, and they go elsewhere. I, I don't think he's a bad man. I just don't know if he's the guy. And if we said Klobuchar is a woman, so she's off the table, Klobuchar we're left with Bloomberg. is a pleasing, moderate person who would be very fair and very decent. And maybe America needs four or eight years of like, because <sighs> the last four years were a real bummer. And maybe someone like her would be okay. The warm water between the fire and the ice to quote Spinal Tap, thank you. And so- <laughs> and, and how about Bloomberg? Bloomberg is, is a guy who could, I could see winning just because he's large and in charge. His tweet yesterday, which completely uh, just deconstructed Trump, was brilliantly was generated. Good. Yeah, I, I think he actually hired Andrew Yang's 
social media team after Andrew Yang dropped out. Because all was, of a sudden his Twitter game just shifted. Because that, that last like, one, oh, shit. I can't quote, and he's buying up everything I else. I was like, so. that was badass. Right, like, right. wow. And there's no way Trump doesn't read this stuff. And there's right. no way he doesn't huff and puff because he's easily goaded. And so I could see, I would not be surprised if Bloomberg won and it wouldn't be bad because it's been so bad for the last four years. And there's so many Americans who'll take anything that's not Trump and any shortcoming of that president, Congress will be there. The people will be there and NGOs will be there and outreach groups will be there going like, okay, you're failing on that. So we'll get it. And so any one of them would be better. I just hope it's one of them because another four years of this, I, I, I really wonder about the strength of our constitution. It's a great document. It survived a civil war. It survived the failure of civil rights, in my opinion, and it's still with us. I just don't know if this country can take four more years of the middle class losing. And you don't live here. We do. I'm not trying to be mean. No. But um, the homeless situation in this city is, and I'm trying to fix it. You know, me and my mind driving to Trader yeah. Joe's, tent, 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 tent. How do I fix this? What's a good idea? I can't come up with one besides the idea of we're a monotype, we're monotypic, homo sapiens, we breed, breed, breed. Some of us come out, schizophrenic, challenge. We're in great need of six-figure-a-year care. We cannot face the fact that a veteran coming home, that's six figures for the leg, for the drugs, yep. for the therapy, like I need to tell you. We can't face the fact that some of our fellow Americans are six-figure-a-year people we have to care about. What if you built homeless city somewhere with condominiums. You took all these people off the street and gave them their meds. Your taxes would double. There'd be no one on the streets for six months. And the homeless from Colorado and everyone like free eats in LA, yeah. the streets would be full again because we can't solve a human problem. And so you basically, every concerned citizen would basically have to take care of someone who screams and claws their face outside of their apartment building every day. And I want to fix this. Gavin Newsom is not fixing it. I don't know how you fix a human problem on this scale. And I think Trump doesn't want to know. I, don't, I want to see a presidential candidate address American homelessness, veteran homelessness, like I need to tell you. But just we live in this city every yeah, day. Yeah. I was driving it's a, down. Um, it's also a problem about the core of, of our humanity, right? And, but, but, I, and I use homelessness and veterans as a great test because if veterans are this superhero, this, this super patriot, the folks that are often categorized as, you know, villains or, or victims and occasionally superheroes, if they are ending up homeless right, and we have this homeless problem, what does it mean for everybody else? Right. I, I think it's a gut check. It's 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 a moment to really look inside of ourselves as a country. It's easy for people outside of L.A. to try to dismiss the homeless problem. It's not unique to L.A. It's it's no, intense it's, in L.A. It's kind of everywhere. But, but it's also it's a very powerful issue as as a probe to see how can you actually fix problems well, that are about, you know, a, a policy problem, but also about a moral failure. And, and that's where I think some of these issues like fixing the VA, addressing veterans issues, where you actually have bipartisan support, you have plenty of money, can, can you use the instruments of government against that problem? Well, it comes and, down to a fiscal idea yeah. in that you're going to give a tax cut to people who have so much money they don't know what to do with it. Really? That's not a problem? No, no laptops in that school is not a problem? Teachers who can't 
pay their rent because they're busy buying breakfast for half their class. That's not a problem. And so it comes down to how much do you love humans and how much do you love your fellow Americans? You want your patriotism tested. What are you going to do about this? Right. It's not a bumper sticker. Yeah. And it, it also comes down to leadership. And, I, and, and the power of words is something that you have mastery of. So, Henry, would you ever run for office? No. Why not? Because, as Gore Vidal once said, by the time anyone gets to office, they've been bought and sold at least a dozen times. I but like would that my, have to be the case for you? I like my role in the private sector because I can have a podcast. I can write a book. I can speak to thousands of people a night. And I can have impact. I think when you get into Congress, you're like, there's paperwork. And you can't say that because it's not we, we can't get the money that way. I always work locally. There's an orphanage here for many years that went away. Uh, my little book company, we, we contribute twice a year. We pool our money and send it out. And uh, we uh, sent a lot of money to the Hollygrove Children's Services Center for special needs orphans. And we, I think they, they, they changed, they went away. But we, we, that was our yearly donation because it was local. You could drive down and see and we get sent presents like the kids would make drawings, we put them up. You can see change. And I, I tell my fellow Americans from stage, oh, you, you want to be political? You can't help it. You're an American. You're political anyway. Right. You want to see change? Do something at the end of your street. Don't wait for Congress. Don't wait for the Senate. Don't wait for a president. Don't wait for your mayor. Don't wait for a governor. You. It's you. It's not us. It's you. Us comes later. But don't wait for any elected official. They got paperwork. It's you carving up the turkey, doing this. I met some vets the other day. They make barbecue food. And they carve it up for, for homeless. And, they, and I said, so keep my name because if you're ever carving it up, I'll take a lesson and they do stuff here in LA. I said, I'll do it with you guys when they really, I'm like, yeah, man, you, you make the meat, I'll cut it into slices. But um, you, you just got to be willing to, to help and see if you can do stuff. And even if it's like $10 to something, it's 10 more dollars than that agency had that morning. And the change comes from we, the people. We elect these people and they, at, at best, American government is inefficient and kind of this, like, I vote because I'm supposed to. Do I expect results? No. I expect results from me and the people in my community. Mm -hmm. I demand it of myself, and I greatly encourage it with my fellow L.A. residents. So what about mayor? It's a lot of time in a suit. It's a lot of meetings. <laughs> Doesn't have to be, man. Nah, Doesn't have to be. I, I got a, I got a sporty schedule, man. I, I, right. I got a passport. Right. Well, the draft Henry movement may may be underway after this but, show but, you know, drops. But Clinton, President Clinton, who I like and don't like. I say that in part, Henry, because I want you to understand, like, I have met so many members of Congress. I have met so many yeah, executives. I, know. I have met so many people who are not only unqualified for the job, bad at the job. You are qualified for the job and would be good at the job. You're good at execution. You know, you're good at operations. You're good at making machines work, whether it's punk rock music or, you know, a book company. Um, you have all the skills in a very unique way that well, I think would be fascinating, but also encouraging to people who see this. This is great because we're getting into your patriotic nature and the, the attitude that you bring that I think is so important for people to hear more of well, because it's baked in a, in a positivity. I think that is important. And especially right now when people feel lost or feel frustrated, they're looking for folks who can bring that positivity. And that's always been a part of this show. So I want to ask you another question I ask of all our guests, Henry Rollins, what makes you happy? Uh, listening to records, 
I'm, I'm kind of a gloomy person, kind of depressed all the time, but I, I get kind of buoyancy neutral, as, as they say in scuba, uh, where I'm neither happy. I'm just kind of like, ah, oh, okay. And that's when I put records on. I, when I have the music on, I'm okay. And uh, when the weekend comes, I, I put on a lot of music. And so there's a cup of coffee in tunes, either in the headphones or in front of the speakers. And that's when I'm at my happiest. Or uh, when I'm on tour and I have an audience, and it's, you'll hear this from, from performer types, my level of affection for my audience, I cannot describe to you. Because I, when I say love, I get all embarrassed. I'm very uptight. But I love my audience more than life itself. Without them, I'm the tree that falls in the forest unwitnessed. I got no game going. I got nothing going on. If someone doesn't go, yay, I don't exist pretty much. I love that audience. I'm obsessed with my audience. I always tell them I, I, I beg for your approval and I, I fear disappointment. I'll have to chop off a finger if I bomb this show. I really don't want to. And so I'm happy when I'm on tour. That's why I don't like nights off. Like a night off, you're like, I'll do a talking show on the bus. I'll pace back and forth. <laughs> but uh, I love being on the road, connecting with my audience because they want to be with me. And what they probably don't understand is I want to be with them more than they want to be with me. Mm. And when it all ends, one day it'll end. It's really going to suck. Because with any entertainer type, there's a use by date. And so um, I, I dread that day. So listening to music, being on tour with a gig every night is kind of when I'm at my best. It's never going to die, Henry. It's never going to go away because you've planted so many seeds in me, in people in this room, and so many people around this country that were awakened by you, were encouraged by you, were inspired by you. You have created a movement uh, in, in a way, and you were a, a key leader in a social movement. Punk rock was a, was a social movement, in my view. Like, yeah, in, I, was, in, I, I was one of the in, bouncing atoms in it. I mean, you know, there's a lot of good voices, and know? that and that will live forever, and yeah. it will it will live uniquely in America forever in a way that I think will always move us forward. Yeah, hopefully, um, I mean, that's the only if we don't move forward, even if it let's at a snail's pace, we're, we're all dead. I mean, if we, if we don't go forward, everyone is screwed. And so even if you can't tell it's moving forward, it has to move. Yeah. And again, I don't rely on government or a law to make it move. It's you and me to make it. It's you. It's this. That's what makes it move. So I have to let you move forward. But I want to ask you before we come to the couple of conclusion parts of the show, is there anything else you want to talk about? I think it's like to these people, talk these people to death, burning in your belly that you feel like you haven't had a chance to talk publicly about that's going on in the world or going on in this country. Uh, again, the homeless thing really distresses yeah. me. I, I live here. I see it here. And I got the mail the other day and I'm driving past uh, some North South street getting onto fountain and there, some guys are loading like two tents and a bunch of stuff into a truck. And they're, they're going to smash it. Some tent city is going away. And I thought to myself, where's the, where's the, what do they do with the people? Like those two pe those people have no home now. What happens tonight? Damn, we got a problem. And I can't fix it. I don't know what you do about that. And so um, I, gave, I was hanging out with two homeless guys at, uh, yesterday in a 7-Eleven parking lot. And... Um, I'm like, damn, man, guy's got a black eye, he's missing some teeth. I'm like, 
how are you living? I didn't ask him, but I, I can see. And so I, I, don't, I don't know what, I literally do not know what to do about that. So that burns me up. And I'm afraid of where this country can go with another four years of this guy. And so, and here's my, here's my, my chicken crap thing. Uh, I usually tour every other year. This is an election year. The last presidential election, I was in Washington, D.C. at the Lincoln Theater mm. on election night, something I will never do again. <laughs> I'm 11 months into the tour. I got my stories. I'm well-oiled. I'm boom, bam, boom, punchline. That's funny. That's funny. Why are you people not laughing? And I'm like, that's a funny one. And everyone is looking at me like their dog just got hit by a car. And then they're looking at their crotch. I'm like, well, I know that's interesting to you, but can you please give me two hours? It's not like you didn't pay enough. And I don't, so I do my show and I hit all my marks. I walk off stage and every, by that, by two hours, everyone's now watching me like this. I'm like, I bombed. And I'm not saying my material's great, but I knew what I wanted to say. I'm like a hundred shows in. I'm, I get to the, I walk backstage. I see my friend Laylee. And I said, what did I just do? She says, it's not you. Open your laptop. Trump won while I was on stage. And all my wow. wonderful audience members are watching it happen on their phones. Like, yeah, that's pretty funny. The world is coming to an end. Oh, I'm glad that happened in your story. <laughs> Whoa. Ohio? Oh, no. That happened in real time. Wow. And so here's the chicken crap aspect it would be a great year for me to be on tour because it's very interesting right now. I don't know how this election is going to turn out and I'm not going to be speculating from the stage. Well, if this happens, go underground. If this happens, celebrate because I just don't want to. My only joke in those days was, well, if Trump wins, it's going to be a bunch of people hugging Alan Alda and a tree going, where do we go now? If Trump loses, it's going to be long lines to Walmart with a bunch of people stocking up for, you know, the big war. And, um, you know, because they're going to take your guns or whatever. And so I'm not going on tour this year. I'm going to let the dust settle to where I can write the, you know, the obituary. Or like, Can you know, we write. book a show for the night after? Because no matter what happens, I would love to be there. We can have well, our, all I plan of our, on being in D.C. If, if he wins, you can lead the celebration. If he loses, you can help us figure out what's next. But either way, we're yeah. going to need more Henry Rollins but, uh, in I, November and beyond. Well, yeah. And I, but I wimped out. Like, my agent's like, you're going to go on tour for this, right? I'm like, no. They're like, really? Because well, I usually tour we could, we could do year. a show for the homeless in L.A. Well, that's, that's easy. I mean, that'll do tomorrow. But there we go. Yeah, that, that, that I'm happy. We're, we're already do. coming up with ideas, man. We can but make this as happen. As far as like 14 months of my life, no. which is what my tours yeah, are, yeah, 23 yeah. countries or yeah, whatever, yeah. I'm waiting to see what right. happens because my material, I'm working on material now that will, will be effective and impactful no matter what happens because right. ultimately we got to get along. Right. But um, this next election is a big one. And I don't know what's good. I really don't know what's going to happen. I, I watch people like Chris Hayes to get pumped up. Like, yeah, he is scared. He you is watch wounded. Chris Hayes to get pumped up? 
because he'll say, look, here's like, where... Here's like I, can't, I, can't, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. And if Chris Hayes ever heard that he pumps up Henry Rollins, that might be the best compliment he's ever gotten. He's a, he's, he's a bright guy. Very bright. But, very, but I don't think he, Chris Hayes pumped he, up. He says things like, look, here's where he's not doing well yeah. on, on these yeah. issues. And historically, here's what he's done. And here's where he backs off. And this and this and this. And you're like, wow. Okay, maybe we just got a piton on the rock face. We can pull ourselves up because otherwise, because another four years, it's going to be a very tough America to live in. And you know, I've really come to love this city. When I first moved out here, you see like the wacky lady with the leopard skin hat at the deli, and you're like, okay. And now I'm like, I'm so happy that we have the guy in the dress and. Everyone goes, wow, you look great today. That we have this diversity yeah. where we're getting along and you can be the, the kook with a crazy hat. And everyone's like, that is, that's great. <laughs> I love LA for that. I love California for that. Like, you wacky liberals, yeah. it's whatever. We're free here. And you go to gigs, rock and roll shows now. I'm always the oldest person at the gig. I stand at the back so no one breaks my hip. But <laughs> you just see young people being gay and it's cool and everyone's cool. And you're like, okay, this is a great city. It's got some tough parts. But these are these, this is a great pack of people to be around. I would really hate to see that change. In another four years, I, I hate to see what this city is going to be like with this kind of non-leadership. I fear it. Well, the, the city is in part that way because of your leadership. Well, there's and, a lot of and, good people and, in the And city. this country so. is in part, the best of it is what it is in part because of your leadership. So no matter what happens, there will be a need for your leadership. Yeah. And, and in this community and on this show and here today especially, I am exceptionally grateful for your leadership because that's what it is. Because in my world of the military and now in activism and now leadership is not just about getting the fancy office or about having the title. Leadership is about sacrifice. And what people who don't know you don't understand is how much you have sacrificed in, in support of your leadership yeah, and in support not, not of so like many others. But I know, but it's not, a, it's never a comparison, right? What you, you, people need to know that it does require sacrifice. And I want you to know that I am grateful for it sure. as an American and, and as a citizen and as a fan of all that is right and good. I am grateful my sons are in a better world and they will have more hope because Henry Rollins exists and because of your leadership. And because of you. Well, and for that, I am exceptionally grateful. And I want to show my gratitude in a number of ways. Thanks. Please get, get, note that we always do a, a bag of gifts. Okay. This is the giving of the gifts. Now, first, I want to start. It's, it's, it's uh, Valentine's Day, so I got you some chocolates. Oh. It's a heart-shaped box of chocolates. Because my, I won't see my family till it's technically not Valentine's Day anymore when I get home very, very late. And so, so your Valentine is a man leaning on 60 who can't find his way to a car. It's over there somewhere. There, there, <laughs> and there's a Valentine, lot worse pe people it, to be it, my Valentine than you. And my Valentine and, is this hulking bald man sitting across <laughs> me. Well, <laughs> I'll take it. So well, we've got <laughs> more. You. So in this bag, we've got uh, first we've got some um, some Angry Americans merchandise right there. Okay. You are a master, made in America by the veterans of Oscar Mike. Then we've got the next uh, tradition in this show. Oh, the, the folks who listen to this these? show know Easter's coming again, but this has been done with every single guest. We have three colors of peeps. We have blue, pink, and yellow. Right. Now, Which color would you choose, Henry, and why? 
Oh, pink. Because Mike, it, Mike. Oh. I had to tell Henry to use his mic. It's I would, amazing. I would choose he, pink just because it's a color that means so much in this country. Uh, it represents. And so uh, uh, pink will work for me. I love it. And then lastly, we usually give folks a American-made whiskey. And uh. I recognize that you don't drink, so I had to think about what you did. And Mercy Rich on our team found, like, the nicest sparkling water we could possibly cool. find. And we're... And it's got a pretty badass bo bottle. Wow. Look right? At that. So, this is fancy Pellegrino with a really badass looking kind of. If, if Pellegrino was going to be a rock and roll bottle, yeah, it would kind of be like that. Carved by hand by artisans in, in, in uh, the sides of mountains. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yes. And I also want to note it was Henry's birthday, folks. Yesterday. Yesterday was Henry's birthday. So. I'm going to ask you guys to do me a favor. Let's sing happy birthday uh, to Henry. Can we do that? Yeah. Henry, you want to lead? How do we sing to Henry Rollins? Any recommendations for <gasps> <him>? <gasps> how, about I do, how about I do it for you? Please. Uh, happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday, dear Henry. You're turning 60 and everything hurts. <laughs> happy birthday to me. I, I spared you. There you go. There it is. There it is. There it is. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been an exceptional conversation with Professor Henry Rollins. You are such an important, inspiring American. I am so thankful for, for you joining us. Uh, thank you for coming here. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for all of you that are here. This has been Angry Americans Live from the Hotel Cafe with the great and powerful Henry Rollins. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Especially in times like these, and especially when you're feeling locked up, there's plenty to be angry about. But there's always a way to make an impact. Just like with punk music, it's time to turn that anger, sadness, frustration, inspiration, and agony into positive impact. It's time to be a helper. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines. Because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. Every show, I offer a way of converting that righteous, understandable anger into positive action. A positive action that shows that an angry American can also be an impactful American, just like Henry Rollins. And an action that will channel your energy, make you feel good, and make a difference. And like this show, our actions are always packed with the four eyes: Integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. And Henry Rollins talked about dreams. Henry Rollins was and always is a dreamer. I read that he also liked Van Halen, but he had the dream of being a frontman in his favorite band. And his wish came true, and he's been paying it forward ever since. He supports multiple charities and multiple causes, and one of them is Make-A-Wish. Make-A-Wish is an organization that fulfills dreams. Make-A-Wish traces its inspiration back to Christopher James Grecius, an energetic seven-year-old boy who battled leukemia and wished to be a police officer. In 1980, his Phoenix community came together to make his wish come true. And little did Chris know that his wish would create a movement that would transform millions of lives. Today, Make-A-Wish has granted hundreds of thousands of life-changing wishes to children battling critical illnesses. 
Wishes that give families hope through the dark times, strength to persevere, and experiences that forever change their lives. Henry's been a part of so many of these, and he's a part of more of them right now. That's because Henry understands. Wishes are more than just a nice thing. They're far more than gifts or singular events in time. These wishes impact everybody involved. The wish kids, volunteers, donors, medical professionals, the communities. For wish kids, just the act of making their wish come true can give them the courage to endure medical treatments. Parents might finally feel like they can be optimistic. And others might realize all they have to offer the world through their volunteer work or their philanthropy. And that can include you. There's a lot you can do. To follow Henry's inspiration and follow his lead, go to wish.org. That's wish.org. You can donate. Of course, you can donate money. You can also donate airline miles to get a kid to a wish. And there are a lot of ways to volunteer. You can be a wish grantor that helps meet with wish kids and their families to help determine a wish. You can be a translator or an interpreter that accompanies trained wish grantors to wish family visits to facilitate clear communications. You can work in their office as a volunteer. You can volunteer at events, or you can use your skills on an as-needed basis. If you've got a professional knowledge or a skill, they can include reading or writing in multiple language, graphic design, photography, carpentry, interior design, landscaping, or more. If you've got a skill, there's probably a way you can be a helper and make a wish come true. So support the dreamers. Be a helper. Be like Henry. Make a wish come true. And if you've got a story to tell or a resource to share, find me on social media and use the hashtag AngryAmericans and let me know. Don't just be angry, be active. All right, everybody, as you've now heard, my time on the West Coast for the last two episodes was amazing. We packed a lot into a short time, but I got to meet many of you on the road and we put together some great shows. So there's a couple folks I want to thank on both coasts and everywhere in between. Again, big thanks last week to Jameel Smith and the team at Crooked HQ that had us in there to record their interview and everybody who helped make this live event with Henry Rollins happen. Also want to thank the team down at the USS Midway in San Diego. I spent the day down there uh, for one day and got a tour of the entire place. Special thanks to the crew, uh, some of these old guys that really help us understand why the USS Midway is such an American treasure. It's one of the most decorated aircraft carriers in American history. So if you're ever on the West Coast, take the day, go down to San Diego and check out the USS Midway. Bring your families. You will leave inspired. They also have the dopest gift shop I've ever seen if you have little kids. A no thank you. I want to say no thank you to LAX. Uh, Los Angeles Airport is terrible. Uh, I actually hate you. I almost hate you as much as I hate LaGuardia. And that's a hashtag for another time. Our infrastructure sucks. But it is amazing how ineffective and inefficient our airports can be. That's going to be a focus for many episodes to come. But... LAX and the scooters were the outliers. The rest of our tour in the West Coast was fantastic. And I love California. Like America, you're flawed and complicated, but beautiful and inspiring. And I love the hell out of you. And much love to a few other folks that made this episode happen. Henry Rollins, of course. Follow him on Twitter. Follow him on Instagram. Listen to his music. Buy his books. Listen to his radio show. 
please tell your friends about Henry Rollins and get on board with the movement that is the Henry Rollins experience. He's an incredible American, and I'm so thankful and humbled by his friendship and the time he dedicated to the show. And as a testament to Henry Rollins, as we were closing the place up, he was still there chatting with fans, chatting with people down to the last dude who left the place. That's Henry Rollins for you folks. He's a leader that you can follow and a leader to be inspired by. I want to thank the entire crew at the Hotel Cafe, our awesome venue. It's an amazing place to check out music. You should check it out if you're in L.A. But thanks to Gia Hughes, Kevin Rogers, who did the sound, Lou, the bartender, Dan, who works security. Big thanks to my friend Rick Sorkin, who helped us arrange much of this, and to Ben Schechter, who was the founder of What the Sound and helped us find the Cafe Hotel and help us set it up. They actually have some cool shows coming up there, so check out their website, hotelcafe.com. They've got William Duvall of Alice in Chains coming up on February 24th. They've got Antigone Rising on February 29th, and lots of other great artists, singers, songwriters, and musicians that are coming through, so check out hotelcafe.com. My big thanks again to Mighty Mercy Rich. She is a creative genius. She made the trip out west. She kept all our trains moving on time, and she is a legend in her own right. I'm so thankful to Mercy for all of her help. I also want to thank Mercy for letting me use her car, where I recorded part of this show from a garage in a basement on 33rd and 3rd. But big thanks to Mercy and to her car. Big thanks to creative Chris Rosenthal, who continues to hold it down and create some amazing content. Uh, he and our whole team at Righteous Media. But go check out angryamericans.us. He's updated the website. Uh, there's lots of great content. Check out our YouTube channel. Check out our social media. Creative Chris Rosenthal is making all those incredible videos and all that creative content. Also, big thanks to Radical Roy Velchek, who made the trip out to the West Coast. He jumped in the ocean, but he also shot our video. Check out angryamericans.us for the full video of Henry Rollins and all our past episodes. Big thanks to Bill Schultz. He is our MVP of the All-Star Game today and always. He makes his magic happen on every episode, but especially on this one. Big thanks to Oscar Mike, our awesome merch partners. Check out all the new Angry Americans merch designs at angryamericans.us right now. They're 100% made in the USA. Free shipping for everything over 60 bucks. And you can wear the same shirts that I gave to Henry Rollins and I've given to all our past guests. I'm thankful to them always. And I'm thankful to all of our listeners. So it's time for Thank a Listener. Every episode, I thank a few Angry Americans just for listening. And I always want to hear from you. And we have a hotline, 833-33-ANGRY, 833-33-ANGRY. Give us a call, and I'll make you famous. I'll make you famous. Yep, that's 833-33-ANGRY. Leave me a voicemail. Tell me what's got you angry, and we might use it on a future show. Just like we did last episode, we got more coming. But sound off. Tell us what's got you angry. Tell us what episodes are inspiring you. Tell us what guests you'd like to see, and maybe we'll use it in a future show. Seriously, do it. Do it. Do it. And a couple big shout-outs to folks who continue to support this show. First off, Steve Giordano, who tweets at sgiordano77, who sent me a photo of him wearing an Angry American shirt live flying an airplane from Jakarta, Indonesia. For real. Uh, Steve Giordano is an awesome guy. He lives in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. He is a pilot who also flies for the Humanitarian Lift Project. You can check them out online. He's a professional aviator, globetrotter, husband, dad, uh, served in the Marine Corps, and calls himself a liberal hack. But he's from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and he posted an awesome picture of him in our asphalt Angry American shirt in the cockpit of a plane in Indonesia. So big shout out to you, Steve. Thanks for all the help and all the support. 
Also, big thanks to Free Smiles to All. Free Smiles to All, who shouted me out on Twitter, is from Wisconsin. Uh, a fact checker, a user of social media to educate, uh, treats all with respect, believes in the golden rule, uh, just not God, child of Mother Nature, sister to all her creatures. But thank you, Free Smiles to All, who tweeted at me, Paul Reichoff, Great Angry Americans episode with Megan McCain. I'd love to go shooting with her. We're both never Bernie Trumpers, and I'm a daddy's girl too, and I truly respect her adoration for her dad. He's earned the nation's respect for his service, both military and politically. And Paul, I would like to suggest a question to you for future guests who are in politics or very active in politics. Okay, here it is. Name one thing you respect, like, admire about the other political party. This is a great suggestion. She said, hopefully you won't get any safe answers, i.e. love their family. We've got to find commonality. I think free smiles to all is great. Uh, she also said, by the way, she wouldn't mind a Klobuchar Kasich ticket, which is very interesting. And she said, Amy Klobuchar, you really need to get on Angry Americans. We'd love to have Senator Klobuchar on Angry Americans anytime. She is welcome. But thank you, Free Smiles, to all for your support and for checking out the Megan episode. A lot of folks were really, really impressed by that conversation, and it continues to spread. So please pass it on. And thanks to Jeremy Elliott, who is from Colorado, USA. He is now in Colorado, but started out in Massachusetts, went to Colorado, went to New Hampshire, went to New Mexico, then back to Colorado. He's not running for president. It looks like he just moves around a lot. But he is a Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics, Broncos, and Manchester United fan. He says, nature versus nurture. Nature always wins. Well... He said to me also, hey, Paul Rykoff, been playing catch up on Angry Americans. Great interviews with Megan McCain, Ambassador Rice, and Yal Eisenstadt. Thanks for the feedback on that, Jeremy. Much appreciated. Uh, a lot of great feedback on all those episodes. If you're new to this program and you're a Henry Rollins fan, you will also be impressed by a lot of our past guests that come from all different political backgrounds. This continues to be a show focused on the perspective of independents and unaffiliated, but we talk to Republicans, Democrats, and everything in between. The Meghan McCain episode has been a huge source of conversation. Ambassador Susan Rice was very, very honest and candid. You'll hear her in a way you've never heard her before. Gail Eisenstein went from working at the CIA to working inside Facebook, a fascinating conversation that helps you understand more about the CIA and the intersection of technology and our politics. But thank you all for the feedback Feedback. Please keep it coming. Please keep the feedback coming. Use the hashtag Angry Americans and sound off. I am grateful to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, I just played Ariana Grande on this podcast. So why not, right? I'm thankful to Ariana Grande. And as always, I am thankful to my family, my amazing wife, and my two boys who were incredibly supportive while I was gone and were also incredibly inspired by the gifts that I brought home from the Midway gift shop. I'm telling you folks, they have such cool things in the Midway gift shop. They had an egg that you could soak in water for three days that becomes a bald eagle. They also had a replica, of course, of the USS Midway. And I got my son some pilot's goggles. It was like Christmas all over again. He was very, very excited. We got the baby a Top Gun shirt. We got my wife some Rosie the Riveter socks. It was Valentine's Day and Christmas all rolled into one. Now Ryder has about a month's worth of show and tell objects to bring in. But my thanks to my family, who's always there for me, just like you are, folks. So thank you for listening and for tuning in. Please keep this movement going. 
This show is a movement, and we're seeing that the more we're out on the road and the more I'm connecting with you around the country. If you have an Apple device, please leave the show a quick review. Subscribe right now and have it hot and waiting for you every Thursday. We're going to continue to pump out great episodes. We've got another great guest coming next week. Check social media, and I will have the announcement there, and we'll have many more guests to come. But we'll have new episodes for you every Thursday, just in time for your commute to work, for your weekend enjoyment. You can chop them up. You can listen to them all at once. But go back and binge the episodes you've missed and help us spread the word and keep this show moving. And definitely keep the feedback coming on social media. We're everywhere. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I see you. I hear you. I'm with you. Go to angryamericans.us, sign up for the newsletter, and you will be the first to know about events like the one we did with Henry Rollins and events like the one we did with Meghan McCain. We're going to go to new cities. We're going to have new guests. We're going to have lots of good stuff coming throughout the year. So stay tuned. Subscribe for free and share. And we'll keep this movement growing week by week by week. Punk rock music is a social movement. And Henry Rollins is a social movement leader. And we're going to keep this movement growing week by week by week and continue to find ways to come together and rise above. As you heard, Henry Rollins cares a lot. And he's paying attention. And he's fighting back. That's what Rise Above is all about. That's what America's all about. That's what the show's all about. And that's what the song rise above is all about he talked about it last year at a charity event in california i was in a band and that band had a song that talked about never relenting that talked about going into insurmountable odds without fear knowing that you're gonna win because you're right we are gonna win because we are right and together we will rise above these times and anything else that comes at us. West Memphis, Arkansas. Get ready to go worldwide. Just like Professor Rollins showed us, it's okay to be angry. But no, you're not alone. We're all a little angry. That's because we're paying attention. And together, we can turn that vigilant anger into positive impact. Just like Henry Rollins. Just like punk rock. Just like the founders of this country and every meaningful activist, present, past, and future. The Rise Above lyrics say, Jealous cowards try to control. Rise above, we're going to rise above. They distort what we say. Rise above, we're going to rise above. Try to stop what we do. Rise above, we're going to rise above. When they can't do it themselves, rise above, we're going to rise above. We are going to rise above. Together. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thanks for listening. Stay vigilant, America. Stay vigilant. Rise above, rise above.